The New Beverly presents the Pure Cinema Podcast calendar edition for the New Beverly December 2019. And uh, we have our usual trio of us, uh, Mr. Elric Kane joining me, and then of course Phil Blankenship. Hello, Phil. Hello, guys. This marks one year of doing this, guys. Yes. This is our one year calendar. Yes, it's true. Uh, and we have a very special guest this evening. Mr. Alonzo Duraldi is joining us. He is a film critic for The Wrap. He is part of three different podcasts, uh, Linoleum Knife, Who Shot Ya podcast, and Breakfast All Day. And he is the author of my favorite Christmas movie book, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. Welcome, Alonzo. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. It, it's a no-brainer, really. I'm sure, I think you were saying, like, you're doing a lot of guest spots at this time of year. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, uh, like, I, I do six podcast episodes a week on a regular time of year. But, yeah, December, I'm annoyingly omnipresent. Wow, six a week <laughs> and regular. That's, wow, that's a busy man. Um, well, we do thank you for coming on. And for anybody that hasn't checked out uh, Have Yourself a Merry- Movie Little Christmas, not only is it great for the classic Christmas films, but there's a lot of like hidden gems in there that I've come across that uh, I, I just really I'm trying to think what's the the one with uh, Joseph Cotton. Oh, oh, uh, I'll be seeing you. Yes. With, yeah. Joseph Cotton and Ginger Rogers. Yes, that's mm. right. That's one of the gems. Uh, it happened on Fifth Avenue is another mm, one you turned me on yeah. to through the book. You have a lot of deep cuts in there. I, look, that I can introduce you to a movie you've never <laughs> heard before. Like that's you've made my day. So. Well, it's a great, great book. Like I said, and, and Alonzo is a perfect guest for the calendar this month as we have quite a lovely array of Christmas and snowy adjacent programming. I need to know though, like there's sometimes when somebody puts this much time into saying, I need to know how, if that A changed how you felt about Christmas after watching these, like whether it strengthened or weakened your position. No, I'm probably more obsessed than ever. Okay, that's good. (laughs) My my husband says that I I made the mistake of watching all the good Christmas movies for the book. And so now I have to rely on the Hallmark Channel to be my methadone. Very nice. And did it come from just an absolute passion for a specific uh, holiday movie, or was it just the time of year always turned you on? You know, I I love Christmas and I love movies, so it was sort of inevitable that my chocolate and peanut butter would kind of get mixed that way. And and for years, I even before the internet, like I got would have editors assign me these sort of listy pieces in December, like, oh, do a piece about, you know, unusual Christmas movies or Christmas movies that we don't really think of as Christmas movies. And I had done enough of those. I thought maybe there is a book here because I think the definition of what people consider to be a Christmas movie can be pretty far reaching. It doesn't have to just be, you know, Elf and It's a Wonderful Life. And I, I think as we'll see on the calendar, it it gets into genre and it gets into maybe specific moments in a movie that are Christmas, even if it's not you know, wall to wall, uh, you know, they can be funny, they can be bummers, they can be scary. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of different flavors to be found in the holiday. And you're wearing a gremlin shirt, so everyone should know that about you right now. I, a Christmas I, gremlin shirt. I came yeah. correct. You <laughs> know. did. Well played. Oh, I, I, before we jump in the calendar, uh, is there a title that was a total revelation to you when you're doing the book that you just had never even heard of? Oh, uh, quite a few, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I think certainly both of the ones you mentioned, uh, uh, I'll be seeing you and it happened on Fifth Avenue were new to me. Um, I, you know, the Silent Partner was one oh, that I didn't know about, which we'll be getting so to in a moment. But yeah. uh, bless the uh, the employees at the RIP Rocket Video on hmm. La Brea. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, I was going there a lot, and you know, I think when you, when I'm going in in July and leaving with stacks of uh, Christmas Carol adaptations, eventually somebody <laughs> asked what is going on. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so they started making recommendations, and that was one of them. Nice. Uh, what about you, Phil? Are you because I I know Christmas horror I bet I believe is your part of your jam, right? Absolutely. You you are. We'll get to like some of the ones you programmed. There is one actually that I haven't seen, which I'm very excited uh, that you're playing uh, towards the end. But is that something you've always been into holiday horrors or specifically Christmas? I am just into horror in general, so yeah. I'm into every weird subgenre that you can and exploit. Niche <laughs> <laughs> that, it, that if a distributor can exploit it, then I am into it. Nice. Uh, well, let's jump in because yeah. there's. I mean, there is really so much good stuff in here. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, December 1st, we have, of course, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, yeah, that film will be playing uh, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday throughout December. Uh, I know you've heard us all talk about it quite a bit here. It's still a favorite. Want to say that our shows in November were awesome. Hmm. In fact, uh, over the weekend, the Thanksgiving weekend, we had quite a few families from out of town. We actually had huge, nearly sold-out shows every night. So I think uh, December is going to have a definite great vibe. And is it still I, in theaters in general, or just kind of? It might be playing at some of the the bargain theaters okay. in town. I think it was playing at the Regency Academy in uh, Pasadena last mm. last I looked. We're um, getting into the Blu-ray moment, right? Is that? The, oh yeah, I think it comes it, out December tenth. I yeah, know it's on Vudu cool. now. Yep. I know Brian that you bought that. I bought it right away and watched it the, the night before it came out. Really, but. Why would you watch it at home when you can see it at the New Beverly? So, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Fair as enough. always, we have the awesome pre-show put together by Quentin himself, and it's just a great opportunity to show family and friends who may be in from out of town or to just revisit on the big screen before you put together your year-end top 10 list. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if you want to stop by the New Bev, we're going to have lots of cool merch that you may have seen uh, online or excuse me, on our social media, we don't sell it online. You can only buy it at the New Beverly uh, if you want to buy stocking stuffers for uh, friends and families back home who can't see it with us. Including the new air freshener. Yes, we have uh, some uh, very fresh air fresheners, <laughs> some uh, Wolf's Tooth wow. uh, dog food air fresheners, but we have other cool stocking stuffers like pins and buttons and t-shirts. And then later this month, we're going to be having some really cool New Beverly tasty beverage pint glasses. Ooh, so you can I like uh, that. fill it with uh, milk and leave it out with uh, some cookies for Santa. <laughs> well, if there's one thing about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that I wish it had, it's snow. <laughs> Actually, I don't. (laughs) Hopefully, I had enough snow. But let's use it as a segue anyway. We are starting this month with some snow thrillers, uh, two fantastic films, one of which I think is just one of the most underrated uh, genre pieces in general. Uh, We have Fargo from 96 playing with Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan, uh, which is just from two years later, 98. Uh, Obviously, you know, I don't know who programmed these two together, but I think these are a really great pairing of, you know, money that's lost, morals that get complicated. Uh, and betrayal uh, but I personally think Simple Plan is just like one of these movies that I often meet people who go oh, I love Sam Raimi and they've never even heard of this film that's crazy and my brain's always like what this is the film that almost to me like goes kind of in the Oscar conversation it's near the top for yeah. sure of all I mean you could make a case it's his best movie oh my god look what? at this shit oh my god how much you think is in here god almighty these are hundred dollar bills the whole bag's full of them uh, is, that, is this oh, real, is it real oh, money, Lou? Hell yes, it's real. Don't be stupid. <laughs> what would somebody be flying around with this kind of cash? You know what? I bet it's drug money. 
Probably what it is. This guy's a dope right. dealer because see, that's what they do. They and fly around these little planes. This is dirty money. That's right. Seven twenty twenty. Dirty money. What do you mean? It's like what are you talking about? It's counterfeit. Dirty money. Oh, no. Dirty no, money. no, 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 no. This is real. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's it's a police matter now. What do you think we should do? Somebody should stay here. Somebody should go after the cops. What? How you want to work? Let's you... think this through. What? Hold on. What if we didn't turn it in? You want to keep it? <laughs> he wants to keep it. Well, well, well that's a hot one. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Yeah. Because we go to prison. Why? Why? Because it's stealing. Stealing. Yeah. Stealing from who? From him? <laughs> Hell, he won't mind. <laughs> but it is quite different because it's so restrained in terms of directing style. Like, you know, you know, you've got very still shots of windows and, you know, curtains billowing, which is not something you see in the works of Sam Raimi. Well, there's a great shot, at least one or two, where he literally just has the frame and somebody walks, it's snowy, somebody walks across the frame. Yeah, actually which I remember at the time, I mean, it's not like it's never been done before, but at the time I felt like, gosh, I haven't seen somebody do that in a while. Mm. And gosh, it's so stylish. It's so nice. This is around the time of The Gift also, right? Like, yeah. I think The Gift must be what, like two movies after? Yeah, or? It one or two. Close, yeah. yeah. And The Gift's underrated too. Sure. But, yeah. you know, no snow. <laughs> sorry how do you feel about snowy thrillers Alonzo well yeah it's kind of funny just looking at this sort of reminds me about how so many of the songs that we now consider part of the Christmas canon are really just about winter mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. winter wonderland and baby it's cold outside and you know uh, so many of those songs like that they're not Christmas related at all they're just about snow and cold so I think this is a perfectly legit way to kind of bring us into the Christmas month um, and you know uh, we, we talk about um, you know, uh, playing around with, with genre, the idea of, you know, Christmas and horror, but also I think, you know, we think of noir as being, uh, you know, this very kind of shadowy, you know, dark urban thing. And here you've got like snow, wilderness, uh, you know, that blinding winter sun and still being a very kind of noir atmosphere. And very bright. Yeah, they're all bright, which yeah. is which is great. A uh, big fan, Phil? I'm a huge fan of both, but I feel like you're giving short shrift to uh, Fargo, the Coen <laughs> Brothers' masterpiece. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That one too. <laughs> we just assume that's a given, but you, but you're right. It is like, and probably seeing it on big screen is something that doesn't happen that often anymore. I'd have to assume with Fargo. Yeah, I mean, or, it's or been, any it's, movie for that yeah. matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a while since we played it, mm. but uh, it looks striking on the big screen, and yeah. the humor, which this movie's extremely funny, I think plays very well um, yeah. with an audience, and I think that we're gonna have a big crowd both nights. So. I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, they're fun. If you only know Fargo from the TV show, you'll be stunned to know there was a movie, too. <laughs> yeah, so that is December 2nd and 3rd. And then on the 4th and 5th, we were talking about noir. We've got some snowy noirs. We have uh, Nicholas Ray's On Dangerous Ground and Jacques Turner's Nightfall. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, December 4th and 5th. So yeah, I think it's going to... So we start the month with the 90s snow thrillers, and now we're kind of pushing it back uh, a little bit to these older noirs, and I think that it's a good way to start the month. Um, On Dangerous Ground, I think, is one of Nicholas Ray's absolute best films. It's kind of got an interesting plot. Have you seen it? Yeah, I just saw this one. I haven't seen Nightfall. I've actually always wanted to, and it was, I think it might have been a film strike at one point, and then it was gone. It's yeah, very... it was part of that Columbia Noir package they had. Uh, but it, this, it's like it's like all of Ray, what I love about almost all of Ray's films, it doesn't matter where he's working, it's like a masculinity in crisis, and he's really good at just going right to that. Like, this is a guy who we could revere as a, being a macho character, but he's got a problem. Just like every male character in every Nick Ray film has a problem with aggression or anger, and then he, you know, gets on a case and meets a blind woman in the middle of... Where, where are they sent in that? Is it Alaska or something? It's like upstate. Would you be lonely if you lived in a place like this? Yes, I guess I would. The city can be lonely too. 
Sometimes people who are never alone are the loneliest. Don't you think so? I don't know. I've never thought it out. I think you have. Sometime or other, most lonely people try to figure it out about loneliness. And you think I'm one of them? May I touch your hand? Okay. <laughs> I've never yeah. seen this movie. Don't oh, you've never no. seen it? Oh, nice. No. I'm married to a huge Ida Lupino fan, but I have not seen this one. Yeah, oh, Ida wow. Lupino also, I think, uh, was an uncredited director on the oh, film. Oh, oh, I did okay. not know that. Just, she often was. Yeah, yeah, that's, oh, that's nice. cool. But yeah. Nightfall, I haven't seen, and I know yeah. you did. I just rewatched it. I, I think it's great. It was one I remember seeing. I think I actually saw it at the Egyptian. Boy, as part of a double bill, it was one of those where it was some rare stuff at the time. Definitely wasn't on... I don't think it was on home video at all uh, at the time I saw it, and I loved it. And it's it's a great story. It doesn't, like On Dangerous Ground, it starts a little bit more urban, starts in Los Angeles, and then goes to Wyoming, the snowy uh, Wyoming sort of tundra. Um, but it's a fun plot. I mean, it's like uh, Aldo Ray plays a guy who, I don't want to give away too much, but basically he has run afoul of a couple um, bank robbers, one of them played by... Um, Brian Keith. Brian, Brian Keith. Keith, thank you very much, who's great in this. He's a really good villain. Um, and there's some lost money, and Aldo Ray knows where it is, and he doesn't want to tell them, and it's sort of, I won't go too much further into it, but that's sort of the baseline plot of the movie. Now, if you want to stay alive, in order for you to have a nice, long, happy middle age, you're going to tell us where you put that cash, and we're going to keep you here till we get it, and we'll let you go. Makes sense? Makes wonderful sense, but I can't tell you where the money is because I don't know where it is. Does that make sense? No, no, it doesn't. I can see a man misplacing a tenner or maybe even a hundred. But I just don't tabulate. He's going to let a big boodle like that slip through his fingers. And that brings us to another angle. If you lost that loot, you lost it up in Wyoming in the Jackson Hole country. And that means you wouldn't be here. Because if you didn't have it, you'd be up there looking for it, right? Wyoming's a big place. 350,000 is big money. Most people I know would be up there with a magnifying glass going over every inch of the state. And he meets up with uh, Anne Bancroft. Thank you. Um, and sort of they sort of hit it off, so there's becomes like a little peril for her. But yeah, it's it's really neat to s- sort of see the way it, it plays out. Again, I'd, I'd prefer people go see it. Um, without me giving away the entire plot. But but I like it a lot. I think it's a great uh, ladder noir from Jacques Turner, who we're big fans of here at the show. So, um, And if uh, interviews on the old internet are to be believed, then I understand that when Quentin was making uh, Pulp Fiction, Nightfall was perhaps one of the films that he showed uh, mm. Bruce Willis to kind of give him an idea of what type of actor he wanted him to be and he specifically singled out like Brian Keith's role in Nightfall as oh. that kind of tough man uh, kind of performance. That is interesting. And uh, another exciting thing is Nightfall we're getting a gorgeous print from the Sony archive. They don't generally loan out prints from their mm. archive all that often but thankfully we have a great relationship with them so this will be the absolute best way you can see it. Excellent. Um, it should be a fantastic double bill and also very excited these uh, classic noirs they're both short yeah. So you can get out of this double bill in probably less than three hours. Yeah, I was going to say, they're both under 90 minutes, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like, Nightfall is like 118, I think. I watched it last night. It was Lean like, and me. Yeah, I like We'll it make though. up for it later in the calendar. There's a couple. <laughs> There's a couple that are longer than that. Bergman sure. will make up for that. <laughs> so then uh, we move into December 6th and 7th, Friday and Saturday. We have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
What time is that, is that playing, Phil? That's going to be at 7.30 each 7:30. night there. And okay. then it plays on the 8th at 6.30 the Sunday. Gotcha. Very cool. Uh, and then we move into December 9th and 10th. We have two days of uh, Eyes Wide Shut, an Elric Kane favorite. I appreciate that you're playing it by itself because that is a full meal of a movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how did you feel when you first saw Eyes Wide Shut? I always find that to be an interesting, hearing people's first impressions. Uh, I saw it opening day yeah, at the too. Chinese. Um, I had just moved to Los Angeles uh, with my husband. I had lived here before, but he was a, a new arrival, and we were very excited about it, and it was my first time taking him to see it. And I remember there was a line down the sidewalk on a Friday afternoon and he was like, why, yes. why do all these people, <laughs> yeah. do they have jobs? I said, it's just, this is how it is. You know, <laughs> he didn't quite get it yet. Um, I, you know, at the, the first time I saw it, it was, you know, I think there was a lot of the sort of pre-advance hype to overcome because they were really pushing it as like, oh my God, like Cruz and Kidman, they're really a couple and this is going to be all about their sex life and it's going to be like super dirty and there's this whole orgy sequence and ah, you know, and uh, so they, they really kind of sold that aspect of it. And I remember liking it when I saw it, but thinking I'm going to need another 20 years on this one, you know, just <laughs> as a general Kubrick yeah. rule. And so now here we are literally 20 years later and... Uh, uh, you know, I was right. I, I yeah. needed the 20 years to really kind of catch up with it. Um, and what's what you know, we, we did a, a, an episode for the 20th anniversary of the summer on, on who shot you. And when I watched it again, I was struck by even though I would put it in the book and I, I was always telling people, no, really, it's a Christmas movie. There's so much Christmas in it. Every time we enter a new space in this movie, it's like what they do on Hallmark movies now, where every office, every like restaurant, there is just like there's garland and there's hanging balls and there's twinkle lights. Like there's not a single space in this movie that isn't just Christmas into your eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the Toy Store scene. I think that's oh, a great, that's a classic a great scene. finale. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's really. I, I felt similarly. I saw it right after, like it was a Kubrick retrospect, right after he had died, mm. and they led up. Up to the premiere of the film, and it was just I couldn't didn't really know how to feel about it. I, I wouldn't say let down, just more a little baffled, sure, in a sense. And then over the years, it's just every time I've seen it, I've enjoyed it more. It's become one of those great mystery movies where I think it actually benefits by uh, repeat viewing. Uh, and I think the Christmas relationship side of it actually really enhances it because of this idea of fam- you know the importance of family. Yes. It's almost like a, a dark sexual. Uh, it's a wonderful life, you know. I think the two <laughs> might make a pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> Somebody bill. made the case that, that I was reading this summer that it's basically it's the it's the uh, sexual Christmas Carol, mm. oh. and that you could sort of divide oh, right. the film That's into right, yeah. like sort of past, present, and future, yeah. even. Yeah. Oh. So we'll say the sexy Scrooge. Or, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> who are all playing? So this is a good list so far. Yeah, I'm also excited because so the way the first week was the uh, the crime films with a snowy backdrop, this second week is sort of uh, the difficult relationships Mm. with the holidays as a backdrop. Sure. Mm -hmm. And also it's going to be kind of part of Eyes Watch Us, part of our Kubrick Christmas, because we'll talk about it later. But on Friday, December 6th, our matinee is The Shining. So it goes Mm -hmm. from that into this. Oh, nice. And and also the fact that, you know, this movie was, I I think Kubrick tried to fight him on screenwriter credit, but we do have a a co-credit on the screenplay for Frederick Raphael, who wrote arguably my favorite movie about marriage ever, which is Two for the Road. Oh, whoa. I did not connect that. That's great. Um, Also, we played Eyes Wide Shut earlier this summer uh, Mm. as part of our 1999 retro. And let me tell you, Kubrick's stone cold glacial pitch black comedy really plays with the crowd. This movie is actually really funny intentionally. Um, And I think that can be lost on people if they're just watching it at home alone. 
Yeah, or if, if you saw it in Wisconsin like I did, uh, <laughs> didn't really play that funny to that crowd. Oh, no, if you if you watch this as um, Tom Cruise is like in his brain, thinks he's irresistible to everyone, he enters the scene, it becomes really funny because he literally walks into any scenario and the people just want him and desire him. <laughs> Alan Cumming <laughs> wants oh, him. Alan Cumming's all over him. It's an, it, no, it's an amazing but it's thing. Also, it's, it's also hilarious how Tom Cruise keeps doing the I'm a doctor thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it just becomes more and more like, oh, stop. Just, yeah, just yeah. stop it. Yeah. <laughs> but also the one thing some people might not realize if they haven't seen it is Sidney Pollack is so good in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Right. It's hard to believe another actor had that role for quite a while uh, in Kaitel, but he, Sidney Pollack just is it's perfect. It's mm-hmm. perfect casting. Listen, Bill, I don't think you realize what kind of trouble you were in last night. Who do you think those people were? Those were not just ordinary people there. If I told you their names, I'm not going to tell you their names, but if I did, I don't think you'd sleep so well. It reminds me a little bit of seeing the Irishman, some of the, like Joe Pesci, like some of these characters just come in and just completely ground the entire movie with one one performer. Uh, great flick, uh, that one. So going from Kubrick, we jump into a Todd Haynes double feature on December 11th and 12th. The 11th is a Wednesday and the 12th is a Thursday. And we have Carol and Far From Heaven. I have not seen Carol. Uh, oh, yet. you haven't? Oh, no, I, wow. I missed it when it came wow. out. I don't know. For a treat. Uh, but Far From Heaven, a big fan of. Uh, beautiful. Uh, it's not even an adaptation, right, of Cirque? It's kind of like it's an his, homage. his version. Yeah. I um, was just uh, checking out the, there's a Blu-ray for um, the Reckless Moment, and Todd mm-hmm. Haynes has a little featurette on there, and he talks about stealing from that movie as well, which isn't Cirque, and is Max Fools instead, mm. for Far From Heaven. Like, he definitely lifted some stuff. Well, I, you know, I, I've been saying for a while that I think both Todd Haynes and Pedro Almodovar do a lot of what Quentin Tarantino does when it comes to sort of like chopping and channeling classic cinema and reworking it and, and, and channeling their own obsessions into something new. But, you know, they're doing it with the sort of, you know, less highly considered women's pictures or melodramas, mm. whereas, you know, it's easier for like straight film dudes to be like, ooh, kung fu movies and black exploitation, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I think there's there's a similar DNA there in terms of kind of taking the past and, and you know, taking what it meant to you and, and, and turning it into your own you know, piece of work. Very cool. I've only seen Carol one time, so I'm due for a rewatch on it. But oh, I think Rooney Mara and that Santa hat in the department store has already become like an iconic Christmas image. You know, as, I can when see it comes that. to movies, <laughs> that whole glove scene with uh, with Kate Blanchett is amazing. Yeah, dude, and, I'm very curious what you would think hmm. of it. Anyway, sorry. No, no, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I I envy you getting to see it for the first time. Um, and then yeah, Far From Heaven is just such a visual treat. And you know, it's it's funny because like you know Ed Lockman also shot Dark. Wa- Have y'all seen Dark Waters? Yet? Not yet. Not yet. But because it's like. What Ed Lockman does for you know autumn light and all the the the, the visual splendor of Far From Heaven, what he he does the same thing in Dark Waters except it's all either concrete gray West Virginia skies mm. or like law office fluorescent bulbs making everybody look vaguely hmm. nauseated. But you know he still completely knows what he's doing. Nice. And speaking of cinematographer Ed Lockman, uh, so Carol came out uh, in 2015. It was after. Uh, basically the, almost all theaters went uh, digital projection only but Ed Lockman actually struck one single 35 millimeter print wow. of Carol and he is loaning it to us so Ooh, this Ed is Lockman's actually print. his his print it lives Love at it. his loft in New York so um, now I think, or never yeah if <laughs> you want to see it on film this movie is incredibly beautiful both of these films are like mm-hmm. beyond reproach uh, in their visuals and also in their performances I think that it's going to be a very 
emotional double bill for uh, all the viewers, but Indeed. I cannot recommend it highly enough. In fact, I think you might hear me mention this double as my pick of the month oh, when we get around spoiler. to it at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot to tell you, Alonzo, be thinking about uh, pick of the month if okay. you want. Uh, when we get to the end, we'll just throw out what we would think people should most go see based on a recommendation. Um, um, but yeah, I, well, I guess we should mention what these movies are about if people haven't seen sure, them. So, yeah, so Carol is kind of a, let's say, a doomed love affair between a uh, department store employee slash wannabe uh, photographer, photographer. Uh, Rooney Mara with uh, Kate Blanchett. Who is a, uh, a married, unhappy wife and mother based on a novel that was written pseudonymously by Patricia Highsmith. Oh, oh okay. The there Price you go. of Salt. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. okay. Now you're in. That's nice. Is and it is it is it a pure love story or is there a genre bent? It's a it's a love story. Yeah. Um, right. and not to get into spoiler territory, but I think that it has. Though uh, the book itself did not have the usual sort of fifties attitude about a same sex relationship in the movie. Mm. I think uh, allows for it to be you know a kind of revolutionary way of telling this story. Okay. Um, and then Far From Heaven is very much. Uh, patterned after some specific Cirque movies, I think specifically All That Heaven Allows, yep. um, but it's a very Hainesian tale of uh, a woman at odds with her, uh, with you know expectations and and her surroundings. Uh, she is married to. Uh, an ad exec played by Dennis Quaid. They have a son. Seemingly everything is perfect. She discovers, however, that Dennis Quaid uh, is gay and has been having affairs with men. This obviously brings trouble to their relationship. Uh, and at the same time, she is drawn closer to their gardener played by Dennis Haysbert. And of course, it's the 1950s. So uh, a friendship, much less anything else with a black man, is se- severely taboo for the circles that she travels in. Yeah, I was a big fan of that movie Suture that he was in. Mm. So I was really excited. When this came out, I was like, oh, I thought he was really going to become huge after this but, mm. because it's it's really, it's great casting. No, this one, this one, I saw this one with my mother and I remember, it was like, I probably I was 19 or whatever it was. It was a weird one to watch with my, my, my mom, but I, I just think it's so, it's such a beautiful performance. Like, I mean, Julian Moore and Todd Haynes yes. generally go together very well. Uh, but this film, in terms of cinematography, I don't think there's really anything been quite anything like it since in terms of its kind of recreation of that style it's it's utterly gorgeous so it's also a really great Dennis Quaid performance it is yeah. I think we kind of tend to take him for granted sometimes as a character actor but he's really kind of he puts himself on the line here and uh, for somebody who has always been very kind of traditional straightforward leading man type to take on this role and not play gay in quotes like he really commits to it hmm. yeah I'd love to see him do just more adventurous stuff mm-hmm. you know it seems like he's retreated a little bit back to more conventional dog movies lately <laughs> <laughs> which is fine I want to see his uh, his Christmas sitcom on Netflix I'm kind of curious oh I didn't even know that was a thing yeah, very happy whatever okay I'll have to check that out um, okay so out of Todd Haynes we go into December 13th and 14th and the 15th uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I assume 7.30 shows on those days? Yeah, 7.30 on and Friday and Saturday and 6.30 on Sunday. Okay. Uh, and then we have uh, Igmar Bergman's uh, Fanny and Alexander on December 16th. I assume this is the theatrical cut. Yes, yeah, so this the, is the 188-minute theatrical cut. Hours, this yeah. isn't the miniseries mm-hmm. television version. Yeah. 
uh, which I, I have seen both, but I really like the film version, the theatrical version. This is like one of the most beautiful movies ever made, I think. I think it's incredibly touching. I think it really hits people who love cinema. There's an element of performance and uh, learning like kind of the magic lantern of yes. cinema with the, from the young, uh, young boy and girl's perspective. But if you, there's a great documentary that just came out on Bergman uh, made by uh, the German actress turned director who, whose name is totally uh, escaping me. I think she was on a Fassbender film, but uh, it it actually has a lot of parallels because his father was a minister, a very right. strict minister. Uh, and uh, in this film, their father dies on Christmas <laughs> and is replaced by the mother thinks she should marry this minister. I also, uh, my, my, well, my father also died, but my mother married a minister. And, wow. and it was super weird because when you don't know much about religion, we weren't religious, and you come into that. So when I first saw this movie, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I could identify with quite a lot. But it is also, um, I think it's weirdly enough, even though it's three hours, I think it's one of the most accessible Bergman movies. Oh, no I, question. This is the kind you point to people like to watch first, I yeah. Yeah. This is the one that won, you know, best foreign language mm. feature and like a bunch of other like uh, Oscars. So it was mm. definitely crossed over. Yeah. And at the time it was considered like this was going to be his last movie. So there was a real sort of sentimental uh, outpouring, although he wound up making a handful of other features after this, I think mainly for Swedish TV and they were released theatrically in the States. Yeah. No, I love both versions of Fanny and Alexander. And this falls in the category of like the opening what half hour 45 minutes of this version is all christmas mm. and it's one of the most spectacular christmas celebrations you've ever seen in a movie just you feel like you're part of this family you feel like you're at that table and you know there's more of it even like i think the entire first episode of the miniseries is the christmas part and so even though the, the rest of the movie goes off in other directions and it gets darker and it gets lighter and and things happen um yeah it it is such a memorable and and sort of visceral just joyous christmas celebration that uh, it, this this falls in this falls into the category for sure. It's it's like you know every direct, all the greats I think have a film where they get all the details mm. of their life. They're they're recreating details that they remember. Yeah. Those movies and I feel well once upon a time in Hollywood feels like that film for Quentin. Those movies really have legs because there's just something only they could have articulated that point of view. Yeah, no, I you know to the, and I think especially when when people are telling those really sort of granular childhood memory yeah. kind of stories, <clears throat> Fellini's and Amarcord. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always shout from the rooftops like my favorite Spike Lee film will always be Crooklyn. Yeah. You know that yeah. movie feels so right. lived yeah. in and so organic and genuine to his experience. Um, yeah, I would. Uh, this this is a, a great movie. Uh, you know, one of Bergman's best, uh, one of the best Christmas movies. And and for sure, if you've never seen a Bergman movie, if you know somebody who has always been put off by the idea of like death playing chess or whatever, like this is the <laughs> yeah. one to start them with and kind of get them into that that mindset. That's great. Yeah. 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 What time does it start? <laughs> That's all I need. <laughs> it starts at seven. But I also like going back to the flow of the calendar. I like how this week also starts with an epic from one of the film masters, but then the week before it uh, ends with the Todd Haynes, which are both absolutely gorgeous visually. And then this leads into that. And mm. this movie is also visually stunning. Mm. A very yeah. auteur Christmas. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and then Tuesday, December 17th, we jump into some holiday grindhouse programming with a lovely double bill of Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night. And that's Bob Clark's uh, Black Christmas. Yes. yes the 74 version. Be clear Not about the that. brand new version, uh, which I'm also excited to see. Don't yeah. let Joe Bob confuse you. Keep <laughs> move on. <laughs> um, so this has become the staple, uh, one of the staple double features of this holiday at the New Bed, right? So yeah, I think uh, Black Christmas has been playing as like the holiday grindhouse show for... I don't know, going on at least 12 years, 13, wow. 14, maybe even 15 mm. years. Uh, 
it always played and uh, for a number of years it rotated the B feature but for the past five years we've always been playing it with Silent Night Deadly Night the Killer Santa movie from 84 and I this started is a couple years ago and the, whatever the print was was of Black Christmas felt like was it a new print then because it was stunning it was a new print I believe made in 1999 mm-hmm. so it is the best yeah. and probably only low fade print of the movie anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and this is kind of our holiday get together that we do every year so all of the incredible movie fanatics who come to the theater all the time they kind of like reconvene here so that way we can all meet up hang out say goodbye to each other before we all head home for christmas <laughs> and things like that and if you haven't seen black christmas it is it's one of the best fucking films, awesome yeah, yeah i yeah. can't i've never seen it with a crowd and i can't oh. even imagine how great it plays with the crowd it yeah. plays gangbusters it is scary and tense and thrilling and exciting and there's got some really foul language in it which is <laughs> margo you know, kidder yeah. <laughs> oh why don't you go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it that'll give you a charge uh, yeah i i the, the challenge for me in writing the book was doing the horror chapter because i'm so not a horror guy but there are so many great examples of it and i think both of these films are, are really interesting uh, i love black christmas i think it's 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 so well put together i mean from the visual sense to it uh of it to the like the the way the the obscene phone calls that are key to the plot have been edited together is these just like really disturbing sort of soundscapes uh, and to the performances yeah Margot Kidder and and Olivia Hussey and 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 Care Delay um, uh, somebody online did a thing where they edited the end of a Christmas story and the end of a black of Black Christmas together in terms of because they both sort of end with these like exterior shots of the house as snow falls but the intent is obviously <laughs> completely different but they're both Bob Clark movies oh that's awesome um, you know and, and I think in a way like Black Christmas is you know people point to Halloween as being the one that kind of kicked off the whole sort of holiday linked slasher movie but like you know Clark was there years earlier with the same same premise and then Silent Night Deadly Night really kind of you know, takes that really far and, and, and was extremely controversial when it came out, like after Siskel and Ebert just scolded it publicly, <laughs> TriStar dropped it and somebody else picked it up and, and released it. But I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of look at it as this juncture of, you know, the, it is very deeply in those 80s slasher motifs and those kind of 80s slasher uh, character motivations, but then finding a way to put a Christmas twist on it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you have a kid, I would highly encourage you bring them to Silent Night, Deadly Night. There's, there's, it's not for the ugly rape scene at the start, but it's the uh, grandpa. Grandpa oh, in the asylum the home, is yes. one of the most traumatic things I could think seeing as a kid. There's Ugh. just something that yes, looks like Santa. We've done it before in the show, but you got to do it. I again. can't do it now. Come I'll, on, yeah. We'll end the show with it once right. it comes. Yeah, but yeah. it really, uh, he really is kind of, he's, he's one of those great actors that you've then seen in every Western. Like, he's just in a lot of movies. <laughs> he brings presents to all good boys and girls. <laughs> Your daddy told you that, didn't he? Well, I'll tell you something. Santa Claus only brings presents to them that's been good all year. To the ones that ain't done nothing naughty. Naughty. All the other ones. All the naughty ones. He punishes. What about you, boy? You've been good all year? Santa Claus tonight, you better run, boy. You better run for your life. 
<laughs> but man, it's it's actually you know I think it's still a really entertaining film. There's some pretty ugly stuff up front uh, that would traumatize anyone to do with Christmas uh, uh, involving Santa. But it actually is it's a fun movie. Like it, as it goes, I think it becomes a pretty good slasher film. I do like the know? creepy Christmas song they wrote for the film. Uh-huh. It's something about like like Santa's coming to your house, but it makes it sound like he's going to break and enter, basically. <laughs> Plus, has Linnea Quigley in a uh, great sequence with antlers. <laughs> but this yes. is I can say I've, I have been to this double one time, and I got to say is one of it's one of those all time experiences at New Bed. I think one time I saw it with Silent Night, Bloody Night, and I'd never oh, seen yeah. that Mary before, Warner, and that was oh, that was a fascinating movie. That's an odd one, but um, but yeah, this is a great double. So. And this will be opening right after the opening weekend of the new uh, yeah. Black Christmas. I believe yeah. that opens on the thirteenth. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, so gives you, you time to catch that exactly and then come on over and which see is cool one. because I did hear them talking about this on a panel recently uh, about how really all they took was the title mm-hmm. and backed into the release date and other than and the, and the setting of a university other than that it will be completely original film and that's what I want you know I don't yeah. want need a remake that's just like that one I want them to do a totally different take so I'm sure. excited to see what she does yeah I'm looking forward to it I can't review it because uh, my friend April Wolf who used to co-host who shot you is the co-writer of the film but uh, <laughs> I'm you know I'm a booster I'm there for her Back when the LA Weekly was fantastic. I loved the LA Weekly <laughs> under her. I always read every film review in there and uh, not so much now. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Um, so we move from some holiday grindhouse stuff into some Christmas comedies on December 18th. We have a couple classics. Christmas Vacation followed by Scrooged. Both 1989? Or no, no, Scrooge was 88 and Christmas Vacation's 89. Oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, both SNL alums and, um, yeah, I, you know, I it, it's funny. I This came up in conversation on Twitter this week. I never saw Christmas Vacation until I was writing the book. Really? Oh. Yeah, I just had never seen it. I, I think maybe I got burned by European Vacation or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I, I, it, it is the kind of movie where I see why it has – the devoted following and why it has these sort of like, you know, dedicated ornaments and, you know, <laughs> accoutrement to go with it. And Scrooge is a lot of fun, um, you know, because, uh, you know, A Christmas Carol proves itself to be, I think, just endlessly malleable, <laughs> you know, um, right. I think right after this movie was where you got the wave of um, Scrooge is a mean, uptight business lady TV movies. You know, you had there was the the Susan Lucci one and the Cicely Tyson one and the Vanessa <laughs> Williams one like that became mm. the next way to tell this story. But, you know, it's it, it's a manic movie for sure. But like his 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 closing monologue, I'm still not quite sure if it's brilliant or a complete mess. But <laughs> (laughs) It works somehow, you know. It's one of my favorite Tiny Tims, no question. And uh, it does feature the the recently departed uh, Michael J. Pollard. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow. <laughs> it's just, in terms of Christmas movies, it's definitely one of my favorite. But it's one of those, it, just in terms of comedies that never fail to make me laugh, mm-hmm. it, the opening where it's like carjacking and the, sh- the shows he's involved in, it feels more resonant you know, today sure. you know, with the way entertainment. The night but, the reindeer died. Oh, so good. And just, I also really like the effects uh, of the different, you know, the creatures, obviously the the dark demon creature of what goes to future. Uh, mm. future. Uh, it's just, just actually disturbing. I think that. Just, it's just such a fun, strange. As a bobcat, uh, yes. he, you know, as the guy fired. Elliot sorry. Loudermilk. <laughs> yeah, Great name. I don't know. This Great one really works for me. Mr. Cross, it's time for your Christmas list. Okay, read me the list. I want to get this over with. Sammy Goldberg. Bath towel. Lou Parker. Send him a VHS home video recorder. Colonel Tom Parker. The bath towel. Tamara Forstall. VHS. You know, there's a lot of virtues in taking a bus to work, you know. Oh, hi, fellas. Thanks a lot, and Merry Christmas. Babalu Kaluta. 
The bath towels. Elliot Loudermilk's leaving early today. Move, get out of here. Duh! Four minutes and 40 seconds. Glenn Glenn Whitaker. What was the last rating on Poliso? 5.2 Nielsen, 7 a share, and a TVQ 3. Towel! Your brother. Towel. Your only brother. Oh, God, Grace. Give it to me. Get that. I, again, it's also generational, too. Like, this is right, you know, I'm, I'm a 10-year-old watching this. Ah, well, and, it, and I just totally get it uh, when I saw this film in theaters. But it's a winner. And, and Christmas Vacation, I didn't see till later. I, it was not, probably not quite as late as you came to it. Mm. And I liked it, but I've I've grown to like it a lot more. Yeah. It's a really fun one to revisit. Yeah, it's a, it is definitely one I like to watch every two or three Christmases, mm-hmm. not every year. <laughs> I think it's the movie that actually best unlocks the Clark Griswold character. Mm. You know, I think when you see him in the attic watching those old home movies like ah okay and he's getting this. emotional yeah but like it, it totally you, you get that feeling like okay this is why you are so obsessed with everything being a Kodak moment yeah mm. you know and, and that's the thing that drives him it's not even so much the experience as the presentation of the experience or the you know the photograph of the experience um, and so you know I think it really kind of underscores what that character is about you know as, as weird as it is to say this about a you know a movie that has National Lampoons on the top I'm pretty <laughs> sure you just cited Baudrillard for <laughs> National Lampoons and I am very impressed <laughs> Um, all right, so then we jump into December 19th, which is a Frank Capra double feature of It's a Wonderful Life and a movie I don't think I've seen, uh, Meet John Doe. Oh, this is the uh, Christmas Eve suicide double feature <laughs> <laughs> from Frank Capra, always light on his feet. Uh, no, interestingly, Meet John Doe was the last uh, feature that he made before going off to World War II to do the Why We Fight movies. Oh. And It's Wonderful Life was the first movie after World War II. Oh. Uh, but they are that both. That says a lot. Yeah, yeah and, and definitely I think the, the, the latter, I mean, with, with It's a Wonderful Life, you can definitely see there's that, that's where he starts butting into like like this is a noir film. I mean, the whole Pottersville mm-hmm. sequence, you know, the uh, Jimmy Stewart, those close-ups where he's just like completely, you know, unshaven and ragged, and it's just, you know, it's it's genuinely terrifying. Uh, but yeah, Meet John Doe stars Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck plays one in a series of like, you know, terrible reporters uh, <laughs> who makes <laughs> stuff up, much like her character in Chris's in Connecticut. Um, she writes these columns. Uh, she, she's she's getting fired from the newspaper because her stuff lacks bite. So she writes this column on behalf of a guy named John Doe saying that, you know, he's been left out by the system and that the world isn't working for him and he's going to kill himself on Christmas Eve. And it's huge and everybody wants to know who this guy is and how can they help out and blah, blah, blah. So then they have to find somebody to be this John Doe that Hmm. she completely made up. They wind up kind of hiring uh, Gary Cooper, who's like an out of work, like minor league baseball player to do it. And he winds up sort of starting this movement a very kind of frank capra populist movement about people helping out each other and you know getting to know their neighbors and you know that sort of thing and of course a corrupt politician wants to take over and turn it into something you know evil and corrupt which i you know i remember seeing this movie around the when i was doing the book it was around the time of the tea party sort of astroturfy stuff against Obamacare and it was like oh this movie is so you know weirdly prescient about uh, you know taking these like 
this one movement and then like perverting it into something else entirely. Hmm. Why am I getting some serious network vibes when you give me that lowdown? A little bit of that too. Yeah, there's the whole there's a whole thing about radio plays a big part in this. I mean, the mass media is definitely uh, a, a player in this whole story. But yeah, it's it, it it's a it's a great Capra film, and uh, you know, uh, Stanwick and Cooper are terrific together. Walter Brennan has a really good supporting role. Edward like Arnold, it. a lot of the sort of Capra uh, uh, ensemble involved. Very cool. It's yeah, a wonderful. Meet John, meet John Doe. We're screening from uh, a nice 35 millimeter mm-hmm. preservation print, courtesy of the UCLA Film and Television Archive. Nice. So I thank them. Yeah, that one, as I understand it, doesn't have a great home video track record. It's like I, a lot of spotty I, stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know if it fell into the public domain, I but there, so. were, there have been some some cruddy releases. There was an anniversary release that Sony did a few years oh. ago for like the would have been the what the 80th anniversary <laughs> or something insane like that or 75th um but uh yeah it, it's been pretty spotty so the the, the chance to get to see a, a beautiful 35 print would be important and it's a wonderful life i mean you know come on what is there to say it's it when is. did you see it like what was the first screening impression were you young or? uh yeah i grew up in the era when it's a wonderful life was still in the public domain so it just wallpapered mm. television mm. so you know you would it would end on one channel and you'd flip and it'd be on another one you know <laughs> which i think is why ted turner did what he did with a christmas story in sort of those 24 hours our marathons there's something about just sort of being on in the background that can make a movie really like resonate to people who aren't necessarily going to appointment television watch it because that's what happened with the wonderful life it, it it was a flop when it came out you know it, it, it was free to show on television so everybody did and then suddenly everybody discovered oh my god this is a great movie it's a classic but that didn't happen until the 70s and then you know they obviously renewed the copyright and so now it shows a couple times on nbc in prime time uh but yeah it, it is i think one of the greatest american films ever made and a movie i can watch every christmas and always find something new and always feel a lot watching it i mean you know it has one of the great happy endings ever but boy do they make you <laughs> <laughs> i love there's some stylistic things that capra does including one of my favorite freeze frames in cinema mm. where um george bailey is he's talking oh, he's got his hands yeah out? He, he freezes with his hands out yeah and that's to me i was like oh and then i start thinking about other freeze frames i like Goodfellas, the car explosion mm. behind Henry Hill. I'm like, wow, that's so interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if Scorsese is, you know, is consciously or subconsciously remembering something like that. Wouldn't doubt it. You know, and I just think that's really neat. I think that's something Capper doesn't get a lot of credit for is stylistics. And I'm not saying he's, you know, wall to wall, but I do think he does some interesting things here and there. He's a great filmmaker, is yeah. the bottom line, you know. And again, like, you know, he was just coming back from the war and so was Stewart, who was actually suffering from PTSD yeah. while the shooting was happening. Oof. And you really get these darker aspects of this character that we had not seen from him on screen before. And I think it's a Wonderful Life is the pivot point from like of pre-war oh. aw shucks Jimmy Stewart to like Anthony, Anthony Mann, yeah. Otto Preminger, yeah, yeah. you know, Jimmy yeah, Stewart. Yeah, yeah we were talking off air, like I, you know, mostly was raised in New Zealand at this time. So watching, I've missed a lot of Christmas movies because it's summer there and you don't, everyone's outside. It's barbecues. Sure. You're not watching movies. It's real. It's really the reverse of how people celebrate. <laughs> so I watched this only like literally only like probably seven or eight years ago. Oh, wow. And it, and, and coming, watching that movie, knowing about it, but just having never, it destroyed me. Like yep. it, it really was one of the most emotional 
uh, reactions I've had to any movie since being an adult, which it, it really is such a brilliantly made movie. Yeah. It's like, and I think it, it will become something I probably watch every year, but it is just funny how different regions, because with the Southern Hemisphere, you're in, you know, it's 100 degrees, you know, Christmas day, you know, <laughs> so very, very different. We don't have a lot. You did say there was one though in the book, right? There was at least one Australian summer. Uh, no, no, no. The, I, I didn't write about it. There's oh, okay. one, there's a film called Bush Christmas okay. about like a couple of kids that get lost <laughs> in the outback right. at Christmas time okay. or something. Uh, it's called and, Walkabout. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Very it's a Christmas Christmasy. Movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, I think that's a. There, there are several niches that I like. There, I'm still waiting for like a really great queer Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. There's a new one this year called Season of Love. That's interesting. It's like a kind of like a lesbian rom com, which is it sort of feels like if you took the kind of Hallmark Lifetime formula, but like just made it all ladies, and mm. you know that works. Uh, but like there hasn't been like just a really sort of great uh, epic one. And I think I, I'm waiting for like an Australian, you know, yeah, Kiwi, summer. some kind of southern. Brazilian, some southern hemisphere, some southern hemisphere <laughs> filmmaker to capture what Christmas is like there, because so much of the imagery, you know, we we kind of tie it to this sort of like Victorian winter scene. And I mean, I grew up in in Georgia. You know, I've yeah. never had a white Christmas in my life, but you know, that was at least it was. Just chilly you know <laughs> I can't imagine it being the middle of summer and having this holiday where like everyone's supposed to be wearing scarves and yeah, making playing snowmen <laughs> we do have one there's one from New Zealand but it's made for two dollars called Christmas it's set in a, a mixed family it's just called Christmas it's literally, but it's dark so it's like <laughs> oh. a dark urban like everyone knocking along it's really like a twisted like but it's made for like two dollars first early digital I do have a copy of it and I think you'd probably like it but, it, but I don't think it's going to tick the the thing in your heart that you want to <laughs> yeah, see yeah there was there was a horror movie a year or two ago called Red Christmas uh, I, with I did too. Not crazy. Not good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> saw that one at the music hall. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, any movie that opens with an aborted baby, you're always like, oh, that's the opening. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, um, well, we'll move away from that. <laughs> okay. So moving into December 20, 20th, 21st, and 22nd, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I want to point out that I can't believe I forgot to mention that the previous weekend, so December 14th, the Saturday, mm. We're going to have a very special screening once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, production designer Barbara Ling is going to join us mm. for a Q&A after the film. So if you want to hear all about how she helped recreate 1969 for Quentin's film, then please come on down. That's open to the public, and we have tickets for sale now on our website. Very that cool. is Saturday, December 14th. Yes. Very cool. Um, so we move from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood into a couple more holiday classics. We have White Christmas. And one of my favorites, and this is one I knew before I read your book, mm. but I love that you champion this one in the book too, and that's Holiday Affair. Yes. Uh, great, great movie. Yeah, Why Christmas is a movie I think that is absolutely worth seeing projected. It, you know, it comes on TV a lot. We're all sort of familiar with it. The eye-scorching Technicolor mm. is something you really have to like experience at least once on the big screen. You've never seen reds like this ever like in a movie not in a movie you know in the natural world it is its own thing and it's it 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 really is something to behold um you know, there, it also has that kind of crazy thing where it, it's one of those movies where it's almost never really outside. Like the whole outdoors of this hotel is so obviously a soundstage, <laughs> <laughs> the way that it's lit. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it's a great musical. It's it's all these it's wall to wall Irving Berlin songs and uh, you know Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and Rosemary Clooney and you know Vera Ellen just dancing up a storm. Oh um, man, she goes. I just watched this uh, two days ago. Rewatched. <laughs> And I forgot how crazy bonkers and she is in terms of how much dancing she's doing. Yeah, a ton. And apparently she was like 
a total perfectionist would just like practice, 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 rehearse, rehearse, you know, until she got it absolutely right. And you look at the stuff that she's asked to do in this movie and she tackles it with such precision. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to watch. And then like Clooney was her first film. She was not an oh, actress. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, you know, she's but, so good. But yeah, she's so natural and she and Crosby have a, a nice chemistry. And Wow. Hello. What's doing? I couldn't sleep. Oh, you're a little young for that route, aren't you? Well, I, I heard something about uh, sandwiches and buttermilk. Oh, sister, this is the place. We are <laughs> loaded here. We got New England Blue Plate or the uh, Vermont Smorgasbord. Not as flashy as two shorts, probably, but I think you find the prices right. Well, yeah. Anything. Well, tell me what you want to dream about. I know what to give you. What's that? I got a whole big theory about it, you know. Different kinds of food make for different kinds of dreams. Now, if I have a ham and cheese on rye like that, I dream about a tall, cool blonde, sort of a first sacker type, you know? <laughs> Turkey, dream about a brunette. A little on the scat back side, but oh, sexy. <laughs> what about liverwurst? Dream about liverwurst. <laughs> it's a little chilly in here, isn't it? Oh, I got just a spot for you. Here, grab the cow. And we'll, we'll gather around the fire, huh? Right. Got a nice open hearth job here with some Vermont logs burning briskly. Mm. Isn't this nice? What? Glad you came. Better than a picnic. Well, certainly no sand or yellow jackets buzzing around. <laughs> I can't understand what's wrong with me. I usually don't have any trouble sleeping. Well, you've come to the right fella here. Sit down. You know, Danny Kaye's funny and, you know, plot-wise it's as hokey as, as all get out. And apparently they were, like, literally still writing the script while they were already building the set <laughs> and making the costumes. But, you know, that's not why we're here, you know. Well, I was surprised, I mean, not genuinely, but interesting that it's so much about the post-war and how the ex-soldiers must have bonded during that time and how so much of the movie is really about them giving this sort of tribute to their general right and how emotional and how connected they are in that way and it's it's moving definitely but there's a part of me that's just like wow this is this is not the feeling I associate with the military now. And I'm not oh, saying sure, it's yeah. not there. I'm just saying it feels different. Yeah, this is, I mean, th th this is that sort of like the World War II warm and fuzzies, you know, mm -hmm. which I don't think any other war before or since has gotten this this level of, of nostalgia. And it's interesting because I think the song White Christmas, when it came out in the early 40s, it was introduced, you know, in an, another Crosby movie, Holiday Inn, is a song itself about nostalgia, you know, the ones I used to know. And so it became this huge hit during the World War II years for the GIs who were serving away from home, you know, especially at the holidays when they were longing to be home. This was the song that really kind of underscored that for them. And so then when they make the movie White Christmas in the 50s, it is about those returning soldiers and their nostalgia for being in the war in the first place. Uh, so it's just this sort of weird kind of Chinese puzzle box of always looking backwards. That's um, fascinating. And, and so the, the movie kind of, you know, like it, it, it opens on a battlefield with a, a sort of theatrical scrim of a Christmas scene, and it ends at Christmas with a theatrical scrim of a battlefield. You know? <laughs> um, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's wild that, like, you know, we don't really watch Holiday Inn that much on TV anymore because it has this appalling blackface number in it. Like, you know, the idea is that he has this inn that's open only for holidays, and when Lincoln's birthday rolls around, well, you know, it's time for Bing Crosby and everybody else in the band to, like, put blackface on and say, the song Abraham and they really skirt it in White Christmas yeah, they, they get do... so close because there's a song about minstrel the minstrel show but yeah. they don't ever like go there and so we can all be like oh you know 
<laughs> Minstrels, sure, okay. Yeah, that was definitely a moment I had where I, I hadn't seen the movie in a long time, and I'm like, minstrel show, uh-oh. <laughs> Thank God they don't go blackface. And the thing is, like, it's not that Irving Berlin was, you know, super racist or anything. It's that you had this generation of, like, the Tin Pan Alley songwriters, most of whom were Jewish immigrants from Europe. They didn't really, they weren't around for, like, a lot of America's ugly history with race, but they admired this brand of entertainment, and they didn't, connect the dots of like what it really meant so blackface minstrelsy to them was just like a form of entertainment and they didn't really get what the other implications of it were yeah well that's i did not realize i was gonna rewatch holiday inn and <laughs> it is otherwise lovely yeah and and you know fred astaire kind of plays the ish the danny k role i mean it's they're 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 different movies but uh, and he's got a great like july 4th number where he is dancing with firecrackers oh that's like right. they're mm-hmm. they're like these firecrackers cool. are shooting off and he's like moving his feet around them and stuff um yeah if you just skip the abraham number and <laughs> okay. you'll be you'll be good. good yeah and and holiday fair i would put in the category with uh you know it happened on fifth avenue yeah. one of my favorite movies for christmas um just a lovely story of a woman played by janet lee who has a little boy and she's involved with a man played by Oh, it's, um, you know he's the guy that she is not going to wind up Wendell with. Corey. Wendell Corey, Just came thank to me. you, yes. Yeah, so he is kind of the square-ish, you know, boyfriend that the little boy doesn't like quite as much. Uh, and then Robert Mitchum plays a guy who works at a department store, and he has sort of a run-in with Janet Lee. She plays like a secret shopper. Yeah, she's a, she's a secret shopper, and he, you know, where they basically, they come and they buy stuff, and then they return it because they're just trying to compare prices for a competing store, and he, he she winds up getting him fired, and then she feels bad about it, and he starts hanging out more, and it's Robert Mitchum, so what are you going to do? Yeah. You know? <laughs> How can selling trains at trolleys help you to build boats? Well, the trouble with you is you don't believe in a happy ending. I've got a friend I met in the army. He's got a little boat yard down in Balboa, California. It's not much now, but it could be built into something. I'm buying into it. I take every job I can get. Every time I get $100 together, I send it to him. It may never make me a million, but for me, it's more fun than digging for oil in Texas or coal in Kentucky. Mm, my gosh, I gotta start digging for carpet sweepers at Gimbel's. If you had told me that anyone could keep me for two hours, <laughs> a couple of hot dogs. Come on, I'll help you make up your time. I'll be your bachelor friend, and you'll be a famous interior decorator helping me decorate my apartment. All right. You always make people talk this much? No. And I don't always like listening this much. <laughs> um, but again, I think this is another movie that really kind of is, has an interesting look at uh, kind of American society after World War II, because Janet Lee is a war widow. She has this young That's son. Right. And, you know, they call each other Mr. and Mrs. Mm. And he talks about how, like, you know, he's the man of the house. And if she gets remarried, then he won't be the man of the house. Like, there's some weird kind of Freudian stuff going on between them. You know, and 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 Mitchum's character is very much like a free spirit. He's working to raise money so he can go back to San Diego where he's got, like, a boat or whatever. And it's the kind of thing where, you know... Wendell Corey is the is the fiance that makes sense, but you don't say no to Robert Mitchum, you know. <laughs> and it's only because Robert Mitchum is so like charismatic and dynamic that you buy that she's going to toss aside the the safe one and go with like the the bohemian. Yeah, well, so much of it is about how the kid relates to the two men, and yeah. it clearly just bonds with Mitchum. And the kid is 
uh, he starts slightly annoying for me and then becomes more endearing as the movie goes. Yeah, it's you know, you can get, I mean, juvenile performances are, can be touch and go in any kind of film, in Christmas movies especially. Yeah. Like, I've seen so many wet-eyed Tiny Tims, I can't even <laughs> tell you. But no, I think the one in, in The Kid and Holiday Affair, Gordon Gaber, is really good. Um, and this was a movie that has an interesting place in Mitchum's career in that um, this was after he'd been arrested for marijuana possession. Oh. And uh, Howard Hughes, who was running RKO, was like, okay, we're putting you in like this charming, wholesome family <laughs> romance comedy to make you look like a nice guy because, hmm. you know, up to then it was all like kind of tough guys and hard-bitten noir and that sort of thing. But after this sort of real-life run-in with the law, I was like, okay, time for a little image redo. We're going to put you in this movie that's unlike anything you've made up until now. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason it stands out too is it's not really, he doesn't do a lot of movies like that ultimately. Yeah, I, I think you could have, you know, they probably would have uh, inserted any other number of sort of generic kind of like, you know, romantic comedy leads at that point and we would not necessarily think about this movie but because it's Mitchum uh, and yeah it is it is such a, a, a departure for him and he brings so much just like <clears throat> to the role <laughs> that you just you want to watch it absolutely it's great um, and uh, UCLA Film and Television Archive is loaning us their 16 millimeter print of that it's very rare so oh nice cool. come down and see that all right so then we move into what I believe is already a sold out show yeah, our Christmas Eve, annual Christmas Eve screening of Die Hard uh, is sold out already. But more but importantly, wait, the silent part. Wait, 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 wait. Die Hard is a Christmas movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Elric and I it were... That's on the cover of your book, so, yeah, I know. so you get a pass. <laughs> Elric and I were lucky enough to go to this double bill last year. Uh, on Was it on Christmas Eve last what? year? Too? And, yes. and I hadn't seen Silent Partner yet. That's so awesome. this was like... He had talked about it a lot, so I was ready. But even over, after all the hype, nothing nothing prepared me. It's one of the beautiful films that can't be overhyped, which is rare because there it keeps upping itself as the film goes on with oh, all yeah. of you. You just you can't be prepared for both the the Gould performance, which I think is a little different than yeah. you know what he's doing in the seventies prior to that, and the Christopher Plummer performance, which is just fucking nuts. Yes. Did you get her home all right? She's very attractive. Who is this? Now that's the beautiful part of it, isn't it? I know who you are, but you're in the dark. Well, not totally in the dark. I left your light on for you. By the way, do you have much luck with those chest problems? Look, uh, why don't you uh, come over to the window and open the curtains, and then we can have a look at each other. Go on, open them. If you have something to say to me, say it. Otherwise, I'm hanging up. Oh, no, don't hang up now, pal. I'm running low on dimes, and I just have to come up there. That's all, and I don't want to do that. Not yet. It might be the scariest thing on the entire calendar. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'd say maybe even more than Black Christmas. It is is intense, and and it it goes to some very, very dark places in a surprising way. I've I've still never read the book that it's based on. Mm. Me neither. But uh, but this is an early Curtis Hansen screenplay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And this is one of those movies that I think like kind of came out, died, went away. And then this was sort of back and still in the kind of pre VHS era where like enough kind of critical word of mouth and push can get a movie sort of revived. And I think it took two or three times for the silent partner to finally kind of find an audience, Mm. but thankfully it did. Yeah. This is, I I mean, I'm probably going to pick something else, but yeah. And this one sold out, but this is, if you can, Go anytime this double is playing to any theater. Go to it. <laughs> Do it at home if you don't have access to the New Beverly. It's great. Yeah, and while I think this works beautifully as a double feature, and if you want to come just for Silent Partner, 
you certainly can. My guess is seats will definitely open up. That's what happened when we went. We were we were bummed, but not surprised how many people bailed. You can tell who the real film film fans are by uh, (laughs) who sticks around after intermission for this one. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I'm just I'm glad that despite all the kerfuffle about uh, 20th Century Fox and Disney, that obviously New Bev is insulated from that particular scenario. So yeah, certainly if people have been reading the trades or other stuff in the news, they may know that uh, with Disney buying Fox, some of their vast film library is becoming more difficult to uh, present to an audience but thankfully uh, this year uh, we were able to give it a go so you can see a couple Fox titles on this calendar including Die Hard which was one of the off-discussed titles uh, as being off-limits for uh, most theaters now. Yeah yeah. you guys have sort of two of the three Christmas titles I was most worried about uh, the other one being Miracle on 34th Street but uh, but yeah no this is I, I, I hope this remains the case that they allow those to be circulated. Uh, and then Christmas Day has one of my favorite uh, double bills, uh, and that is probably my two favorite Marx Brothers films, and that's Duck Soup and Horse Feathers. Uh, during the day on Christmas Day, followed by an evening show of Hateful Eight, which sounds like actually kind of a killer three film in a row <laughs> to me. I don't know why, but I'm just kind of into that. I wouldn't know what to say either if I was in your place. Maybe you can suggest something. As a matter of fact, you do suggest something. To me, you suggest a baboon. What? I, uh, I'm sorry I said that. It isn't fair to the rest of the baboons. This man's conduct is inexcusable. Why, I'll... Gentlemen, uh, gentlemen! I did not come here to be insulted. Oh. That's what you think. You swine. Come again? You worm. Once more? You upstart. That's it. Touche. Mrs. T.J., I'm afraid this regrettable occurrence may plunge our countries into war. Oh, this is terrible. I've said enough. I'm a man of few words. I'm a man of one word. Scram. A man doesn't live who can call a firefly an upstart. Why, the Mayflower was full of fireflies. And a few horseflies, too. The fireflies run the upper deck and the horseflies run the fireflies. Good day, my sweet. Oh, Your Excellency, I must speak to you. I'll see you at the theater tonight. I'll hold your seat till you get there. After you get there, you're on your own. His Excellency's car! His Excellency's car! Yeah. Oh, I, I adore Duck Soup. Uh, I, you know, and it, it is... It, I think it's the purest Marx Brothers movie in that, like, there's no... There's no, you know, ingenue. You know, there's no there. ingenue. There's not. I mean, I like the musical numbers, but Leo McCary obviously was like, "Fuck that!" Like, you guys, let's just do the bits and and. But the it. musical numbers are funny. I mean, yeah. like the, the, you know, they aren't just like, oh, Harpo is going to play a glissando for a while. Like, it's actually, <laughs> you know, we the, the 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 we're going to war thing is it's a great song, you know, and it, and it it fits in with everything else that this movie is about. And, and talk about short, like it's what sixty eight minutes or something. Something. Yeah, less than 70 yeah, minutes. I think each of these movies is only 68 minutes long, so yeah. but it is packed, compact. Packed with comedy. Yeah, yeah. I and, love and, hearing Joe Dante talk about these movies because one thing he mentioned that I think is relevant is he said when you watch these at home, they all feel – they can feel stilted and off because they were timed to actually have purposeful pauses after every gag because the audience will literally drown out the next gag True. otherwise. So he said he would watch them at home and it's just not the same as when you see it theatrical. So if anything, that's a great reason. Oh, to, cool. Yeah. You know. yeah, take your kids to see these, I think – uh, if you have any inclination whatsoever to introduce your kids to the Marx Brothers, and you should, and they, yeah, and they would actually try test out this material on stage in yeah. front of audiences yeah. to sort of gauge where those laughs were going to come. Yeah, no, and I think Duck Soup is funny too in that it it seems to be politically relevant uh, always. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty, definitely right now. Um, but yeah, Horse Feathers also very good. Uh, I think the one that I don't know if it's underrated, but it's Duck Soup drowns out everything else mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I and I used to be a Duck Soup 
and uh, Ride or Die for Animal Crackers, which I also love. Mm-hmm. But I've slowly come around to Horse Feathers as my number two. Because this is the college football. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, it's great. What are you doing in there? I'm practicing secret signals. Nothing. What do you want? Arabella, you can fix it for our team to win. Oh, no. I want to play. All right, you can play. But listen, there's two football players in the Darwin team I want kidnapped. Have you ever had any experience as a kidnapper? You bet. You know what I do when I kidnap somebody? First, I call them up on a telephone, then I send them my chauffeur. Oh, have you got a chauffeur? Yeah. What kind of a car have you got? Oh, I don't got a car. I just got a chauffeur. Well, maybe I'm crazy, but when you have a chauffeur, aren't you supposed to have a car? Well, I had one. But you see, it costs too much money to keep a car on the chauffeur, so I sold the car. Well, that shows you how little I know. I would have kept the car and sold the chauffeur. That's no good. I got to have a chauffeur to take me to work in the morning. Well, if you've got no car, how can he take you to work? He don't have to take me to work. I know got a job. Baravelli, this is the finish. How much would you want to stand at the wrong end of a shooting gallery? Yeah, there's a lot of great musical numbers and just, yeah, generally awesome. And so, uh, hopefully 35 or 70. That'll be in 35. Okay. But yeah, getting back to the Marx Brothers double bill, I think people will be impressed at the wordplay in this and how mm. it truly hasn't aged. This is going to be an uproarious double bill so when you are incredibly disappointed with what your family got to you for christmas or, or you just if, need to escape them for a while yeah if you uh to sneak out if there's some tension in your household bring everybody here and everybody will have a good fucking time <laughs> yeah i wouldn't i would certainly have no problem if you guys ran a mark spoilers double every single month of the year mm-hmm. i just think it's such a great thing that you're doing that yeah, but then at night we're doing our, our annual very Tarantino showing of The Hateful Eight, and that is also uh, an excellent time. Um, we crank up the air conditioning, gets real chilly in there, <laughs> and uh, you know we have like some special uh, surprises in store for uh, all the attendees. And if people haven't seen The Hateful Eight, it's the Tarantino movie that came out before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And when it was issued, there was a standard kind of multiplex version, but there was a special extended roadshow version that had an overture and intermission and that was in theory issued in theaters in 70 millimeter but because uh quentin is quentin he was able to get one 35 millimeter print (laughs) of that extended version made and that's what we're playing and i've seen it at the bev and it looks great nice one of them fellas is not what he says he is what is he in cahoots with this one, that's what he is. One of them, maybe even two of them, is here to see Domergoo goes free. Are you sure you ain't just being paranoid? Our best bet is this duplicitous fella and his cool of customers, Daisy here. He won't have the leather patience it takes to just sit here. He can't handle it. He'll stop waiting try and create his opportunity, and that's when Mr. Jumpy reveals himself. And what you got to say about all this? What I got to say about John Reese Ravens? He's absolutely right. Me and one of them fellows is in cahoots. We're just waiting for everybody to go to sleep. That's what we're gonna kill y'all. And I would encourage anybody listening that wants to come, buy your tickets in advance. That always sells out every year. Yeah, it sounds like a really nice uh, kind of a holiday tradition, actually. I like that. Um, So that's December 25th, Christmas Day. And then on December 26th, 
we have a very interesting double bill of Home Alone and Dial Code Santa Claus. Which is one of the only ones I haven't seen yet. And oh. I'm dying to see that one. So much Christmas that I had to bleed into Boxing Day. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys uh, celebrate Boxing Day here? Not really. No, right? no. <laughs> so, so we know Home Alone. We can talk about it in a minute. But do tell me about Dial Code Santa Claus, if you can. Uh, I just saw it for the first time last year. And it, it, interestingly, it came out a year before Home Alone. Uh, but it's... They are eerily alike. Uh, oh, really? I mean, I'm not saying that like John Hughes is a plagiarist. I don't know if he. <laughs> uh, I'm sure by the time any of anybody involved would have seen Dial Code Santa Claus, they were already well underway in the production of Home Alone. But Dial Code Santa Claus is about a precocious young man in uh, in a house with a lot of uh, toys and booby traps who has to fend off a lunatic dressed as Santa Claus who wants to murder him. Whoa! Um, What's it, the other name? Deadly Games or something? It's got a lot. Of okay. Names. Like 3615 games. code Santa Claus. <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with the, there's some kind of, I don't even remember what it's called, some early sort of proto internet thing huh. where kids can talk to Santa Claus right. and he sort of accidentally, like, <laughs> you know, hits the hornet's nest on this guy who was working at a department store that his mother runs, but she's working late with, you know, because she's got to do the deposits or something. So he's by himself with his grandfather and trying to protect them in this enormously, like, uh, it's a hmm. castle practically that they live in. Um, <laughs> It's it is it's very eighties. There's this whole weird opening sequence where the kid like kind of does this sort of Rambo montage, like, and he's shirtless and oily, but he's like <laughs> a child. It's like thanks, France. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's fascinating to look at as a as a very Home Alone ish kind of movie, and then just as a sort of like home invasion movie in general and a very Christmassy one at that. Yeah, and while you hear all that and you think, oh, maybe this movie is appropriate for children, it is oh, no. not. <laughs> no. It was aimed, it was made for and aimed at children, and this is a French movie uh, yeah. we should mention, but it really truly plays like the Grindhouse most <laughs> fucked up yeah. ripoff of uh, Home Alone. We're not talking like, uh, you know, yeah. respectful like canon films. This is like <laughs> garbage gutter, like just the filthiest, most fucked up, wow. totally inappropriate, uh, just Grindhouse knockoff. Um, and Crazy. I give it my absolute highest recommendation. Oh. So this gets 10 fills out of 10 fills. <laughs> nice. And it wow. is totally fucked. Um, but I'm also extremely excited because we actually... Uh, our good friends at the American Genre Film Archive, the nonprofit uh, film archive arm of the Alamo Draft House, they struck a brand new print this year. Nice. And we are having the LA premiere of this film in 35mm. Nice. So, um, wow, I cannot recommend this movie enough. Well, and between... it will play Gangbusters after Home Alone, which <laughs> I assume most people here have Lame seen. But this oh, yeah. also is going to be a rare 35mm screening, just nice. as we were talking about 20th uh, Century Fox, 20th Century Fox uh, not allowing most of their films out to theaters. So this is sort of the perfect pairing um, because you get the first one Family appropriate. Yeah, you don't want to do you it send in the, the kids in the home. other order. <laughs> oh, definitely man. Home Alone first and then Dial Code Santa Claus. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so good that maybe I can convince the, the theater to play Dial Code Santa Claus twice in a row at mm. the end of the night because it's so good. But the first time you watch it, you're like, they didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they, what they, the they, hell was that? <laughs> yeah, it is definitely a, a triple what the fuck movie. Oh, nice. Um, and you need to watch it more than once to uh, see it. 
and cool. it is still not available uh, on home video mm. domestically. Mm. I think maybe it's on Shutter. Oh, I, I thought uh, didn't Agfa put it out last year or no? No, I think they put it. They made they made a DCP. Oh, that's what they were coming to Shutter, and it was a Belgium disc because I remember a yeah. Belgium company sent all these discs to us. Uh, yeah, Camera Obscura put out a really nice Blu-ray. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a fairly part. skeevy Region Two DVD that yeah. I don't know both from. God knows where. <laughs> well, between the 10 fills and Agfa being involved, like mm. that sounds like I got to see this movie. So that's pretty awesome. Um, all right. So moving into the 27th and 28th and 29th, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 7.30 shows on the 27th and 28th. Yep. The Saturday, the Friday and Saturday is 7.30, Sunday's at 6.30. 6.30. And then another Doubleville I'm excited about for New Year's Eve well, for December 30th and 31st, we have The Poseidon Adventure and Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, which I was watching uh, last week, and I tweeted about it uh, because Mark Harmon is in the movie, and I thought right. people would be amused to see a picture of Mark Harmon. And amusingly, I got a few tweets back like, there's a sequel, question mark. I guess people didn't know. <laughs> oh, there's a well, follow-up. The, you are forgiven for not knowing about Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> if, the, if the Poseidon Adventure is one of the best of the 1970s disaster genre, then I think Beyond the Poseidon Adventure is one of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I have a soft spot for it because I think it's like, Almost, I wouldn't say it's like the grindhouse version of Poseidon Adventure, no, but it, kind of. It's a fascinating footnote because you know it's supposed to, it is it is set literally seconds after the Poseidon <laughs> Adventure ends, and yet like the hairdos are different, and <laughs> like the ship is lit differently. Like it's oh, not. Yeah. It was a much obviously much lower budget production, so yeah. like you know the everything that's so that looks so great and 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 authentic about the Poseidon Adventure, they're really kind of half-assing it in Beyond, <laughs> and you've got like Sally Field and Michael Caine. And Telly Savalas running around trying to make sense of all of this. And yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun because you know, obviously, in the first film, you're dealing with you know not necessarily high class folks, but they're on what you would consider sort of a high class cruise. There's a lot of Oscar winners. Yeah. Oh, you mean the characters? Just yes. in terms of the yeah, the, for sure. Yeah, and then in Beyond, you're dealing with scavengers. These are people that are just yeah. trying to loot the the wreck of the ship right. for whatever they can, and uh, it gets kind of dark. You're looking at a four star passenger liner. Carrying hundreds of wealthy people on a European cruise. The only kind of salvage I want out of there is a kind I can carry on my back. And end up with what? A bag full of credit cards and gold fillings? Charming. Quick trip down to the purser's office. That's where the money and the jewels are. Maybe even some gold. In and out, and I'll be on my way back. That was an explosion inside the hull. Maybe it's trying to tell you something like Split. Mike. I've got to get in there before it goes down. I don't know. She could go down any moment now. The Andrea Doria stayed up for more than 10 hours. Well, I stayed up for a week once, so what? We're wasting time. Now listen, I'm going in there by myself. They're about to take my ship away from me. But I've got this chance and I'm sure as hell going to take it. There could be a fortune in there. And if there is, it's mine. And there's machine guns, and there's like crazy <laughs> shit that happens. And they're like, there turns out there was plutonium on the ship the whole time or something. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're trying to get. As I, you do. 
I I agree with you, Alonzo. It's not it's not great, but I'm I'm a sort of a completist when it comes to disaster films, and so I kind of dig it. Honestly. Oh yeah, no no. I, I the idea of that I, I never thought I was going to get to see it on the big screen. Yeah, so right? I love the fact that it pops up here every year in this slot. Yeah, I think it's a it's a fun double to have, uh, especially if you haven't seen Beyond. See, I feel like it goes well with. I know Quentin has been talking all year about uh, what Rick Dalton's career would have been. And he, ah, he yes, always yes. uses the like. There we go. Rick Dalton wouldn't have been in the Magnificent Seven. He'd be in the third one down the line, Guns of Magnificent <laughs> yeah, Seven. Right. Well, Rick Dalton probably wouldn't have been in the Poseidon Adventure. Maybe he would have shown up in Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. He, and, he and Mark Harmon would have had a serious. Uh, <laughs> he would have had that test. whole subplot with Shirley Knight. You know. <laughs> um, Shirley Knight. But what I'm also excited, I actually really like the sequel. I think I it's, it's totally uh, fun. Uh, but I feel like it's one of the things that you can only get at the New Beverly. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Other theaters might play Poseidon Adventure, though it's going to be difficult because it's another uh, box title. Box title. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one you're only seeing at the Bev. And what I'm really excited to show people is that Quentin was actually able to secure a really nice-looking print from the UK, and it has gorgeous color still. So um, oh, all American prints of this are totally yeah. faded, so mm. ours oh. actually looks great. Nice. And so it's going to be a fun way to cap out the year. Yeah. Side cool. Adventure, my husband's favorite movie ever. Oh, I didn't know oh, that. Oh, yeah, he's obsessed. That's Wait, awesome. Can we call him and get him? <laughs> can he come down to the, the taping? Let's stay him down here. Um, all right, so that closes out the uh, main programming, but now we're going to talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. We have weekday matinees, we have midnights, we have lots of stuff. Where do we want to start with this film? Let's start off with uh, the Kitty shows. And let's kick it off with December 14th and 15th, we have our Cartoon Club, mm. which we do every month with uh, our good friend Jerry Beck and uh, Jules McLean, the Director of Operations at the New Beverly. She couldn't be here tonight, but she sends her regards. Do you do it twice every time now, or is it for the holiday shows that are going to so, be huge? So uh, we've found that we've had so much demand for these shows that we added a second day. So previously, we'd only been doing them Saturdays, mm. but now we have such a full house, we don't want to turn people away. Um, we're now doing it uh, the Saturday and Sunday, uh, the second Saturday and Sunday of the month at 10 a.m. I love and it. And this month we have uh, a full lineup of holiday-themed cartoons. Oh, so exciting. we got oh, yeah. Looney Tunes and other variety of stuff. The lineup is secret. Even I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been told that it is a blockbuster. Nice. It's going to be a blast. So I highly encourage you to do that. And I've noticed that ticket sales are actually zooming along on that. So you may want to pick up your tickets in advance. Um, But otherwise, uh, the first Kitty Matinee of the Month, November 30th and December 1st, we actually just had this, um, but we played Elf, (laughs) and we had huge crowds each day. Are you guys Elf fans? Oh, love it. Mm, It's great. I think it's easy to take for granted what Elf manages to pull off that I think is really difficult because, you know, there is, you know, you we were talking about Chevy Chase and Bill Murray before, like comedy took that turn to the sort of winking, ironic in quotation marks. And there's something about Elf that, that perfectly strides that that fine line between being in on the joke and not even being aware there is a joke. Um, you know, there is such a there's such a purity to uh, Buddy as played by Will Ferrell that infects the movie in a way that y- you can be as sardonic as you want, but the film is totally it's it's totally in for what it's trying to do and and i think that other comedies have tried to do that and haven't been able to to strike that balance and it does it beautifully who the heck are you what are you talking about i'm santa claus no you're not oh uh, why of course i am <laughs> well, if you're santa 
What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? <laughs> no, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <gasps> <gasps> he's a monster! Yeah, I, I feel like there's something about Will Ferrell in particular pulling. I'm not saying he can always do this, but no, he nails this particular sure. character and the earnestness and you know uh, naivete of this character. He just kills it. It's really great. Um, yeah, and our screening that we had on Saturday, there was actually 70 children, 70 Whoa. children under 12 wow. in the audience, nice. which is. Uh, Quite a lot, even for our kitty matinees. So uh, I had seen the movie quite a few times before, had always liked it, but watching it in an audience with people who were having this communal moment was like truly beautiful. People were laughing and like you could hear people tear up near the end. Oh. And it was just, it was a, a very sweet, sweet day. And Ed Asner, one of my favorite uh, big screen Santa Clauses. <laughs> Are we likely to get any kids merch, kids t-shirts, like new Bev kid t-shirts for the Cartoon Club? Um, it's certainly possible. Could be cool. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you saw, but during our Halloween rush of merchandise, we actually made children's sizes on a oh, bunch cool. of shirts. Oh, cool. I so many great shirts, and I'm so glad I have some of them. Very exciting. But do you have a kid's one? I don't, but, See? you know, but you I'm have a kid, kid at heart, so. <laughs> um, so we move from Elf into December 7th and 8th. The matinee, of course, is Joe Dante's Gremlins. Very cool. You're wearing the shirt, so you get to start. I, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is there to say about Gremlins? It is, you know, Dante himself, I think, said that he basically just sort of wanted to unleash a monster movie in the middle of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, he he is he captures a small town Christmas in such a cinematic way and then takes that turn into genre town. Uh, and, and, yeah, I, I think that there's something about uh, the kind of purity and family friendliness of Christmas that just makes it irresistible for people who want to like put the black thumbprints on it, you know? <laughs> and I think Eyes Wide Shut does that to an extent. Gremlin certainly does it. Like it's sort of the last thing that hasn't been, you know, uh, compromised, I guess, by corporations or by scandal or whatever, you know? And so if you, if, if it's, it's one of the last blank canvases left for, for like filmmakers to do something dark with. Hmm. Does this one come with a parental warning? Uh, because when I, I showed it recently to my five-year-old, who actually really liked it, but I did, I did fast forward one scene <laughs> when wonder? I got to yeah the story, the, the, the story. The yeah. or, oh. no the story, oh, the story. no the, the Gordon matter I just didn't want him to hear about Santa <laughs> uh, uh, dying in the well it's funny I, I worked in a movie theater the summer of Gremlins and <laughs> oh, Indiana yeah. Jones and the Temple of Doom both of which we showed both of which we had like very angry parents oh my gosh uh, and that those are the two movies that led to the creation of PG thirteen because <laughs> they both went out under the Steven Spielberg imprimatur we thought oh great 
Wade from the E.T. guy. And then, whoa. It should be like kids get a free refill of popcorn at this moment. You go right now (laughs) for two seconds. (laughs) But it's such a fun film. And it is fun to see how young. I I do think even though there's some scary parts, I feel like it's a great way to introduce scary parts because it's also so fun. And you have such a great hero. You know, when he jumps in the Barbie car, you're just like, hell yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was six when this came out and I saw it multiple times in the theater. And look at 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 me now. now. (laughs) <laughs> no correlation whatsoever. Um, so that is lovely. And then on December 14th and 15th, we have uh, Bob Clark's yeah. A Christmas Story. His other Christmas movie. His yeah. other Christmas movie. Oh, what? which butts right up against the Black Christmas screen. Nicely played. Oh, I yes. see what you did well there. Well done, well done. Yeah, I mean, you know, come on. A Christmas Story is sort of like, there was a joke that somebody, a friend of mine had in a book about how like there are certain songs that come out and you don't have to seek them out. You just sort of come down with them. Mm. You know, I think we have all collectively come down with a Christmas story at this point. Like it's just, it permeated all of our lives and there's no escaping it. But you know, it's, it, again, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, like I said before, it didn't, it did okay when it opened theatrically, but didn't really set the world on fire. Didn't immediately become this, this cult's favorite. But then those 24 hour marathons, just like it just seeped into the consciousness. And now it's, a movie that people reference constantly. And, you know, when I, when I, when we talk about like how, you know, um, Avatar was the you know biggest grossing movie of all time, but where is its cultural footprint? Nobody mm. quotes it. Nobody has you know uh, merch. But like you know, you say fragile, you know, you know what that means. <laughs> I have you know, a leg lamp at home. You have a leg yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you got the leg lamp or the leg lamp ornament or something, you know, the bunny suit, whatever. All this stuff becomes iconic parts of the culture. And like, but Avatar, you know, none of it. Yeah, none and of it's incredibly it timeless because even though it's shot in the early '80s, it does not feel like there's something about it because of its setting that yeah. I, I with distance think of it as a film from the 60s and it doesn't even feel like you know there are movies where you think okay well that's the 70s 20s or the yeah. 60s 30s it doesn't look like the 80s 40s no. like they really nail the period the tale so well that it, yeah it does kind of give yeah. it this sort of amorphous timelessness so I like that um, all right and then on December 21st and 22nd uh, we have the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, the first, uh, the first of the Muppet movies to be made after Jim Henson's death, uh-huh. um, but they were, I think, very much kind of trying to keep the the spirit of it alive, and and I think they get it right. I mean, they, you know, the the they, you know, Brian Henson obviously had been involved for his entire life with with the Muppet stuff, and you still had Frank Oz and a lot of the sort of major architects of that world there, and you had Paul Williams coming back to do the music for which he had done for the original Muppet movie. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, this was their intro. Christmas Carol, you know. Um, Is it one of your favorite Christmas carols? It's up there. You know, I was, I think I was in college when it came out, mm-hmm. so I think I already had other ones that were near and dear to my heart. But um, I get why people, you know, have grown up with it and share it with their children and love it. And, you know, Michael Caine is a great Scrooge. Yeah. And uh, I love, uh, I love Statler and Waldorf as the, uh, as the Marley brothers. Um, you know, I, I, there are, there are things in it that, that, that work less for me than others in terms of like the way they, things they do with the ghosts. I don't love the music as much as I love the songs that he wrote for Muppet movie, but I realize this is also heresy for a, a chunk of your audience that can't believe I'm saying any of this. So, you know, if you love the Muppet Christmas Carol, keep loving it. It is dynamite and it was, you know, it's always been there for you and always will be. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think, a movie that, you know, when how old you were when you first saw it really kind of dictates how much of how much a part of your life it becomes. Well, I, I also like that uh, you can see Michael Caine as Scrooge on December 22nd or 21st, and then you can see him 
as a <laughs> scavenger <laughs> beyond the Puzzle Island Adventure a few days later. Um, all right, so then moving into the last of the kitty matinees, we have December 28th and 29th, Singing in the Rain. I love that you're playing it in that slot. I hadn't picked up on that. That's great. That might bring a whole new audience to that film. Greatest movie ever made. Oh, very nice. Um, except maybe Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe. always forget, like, I forget about the the Christmas of it. Like, is there a Christmas? Nothing. No, no, there's no, no. It's nothing it, to do with that. That's why it's the okay. 28th and 29th. Oh, it, it, it's Sorry, just I, the slot for The Last Kitty Matt of the Year is going to be one of the greatest films of all time. Mm. It's the perfect way to ring out the new year, share it with friends and family. Um, and it's a film where adults and their children can enjoy it mm. equally. Yeah. I yes. think that kids are going to absolutely love it and they'll be dancing their way out of the theater. Yeah. No, I mean, I love, again, back to the, you know, Marx Brothers on the Christmas Day. You've got some real great classic cinema there, and then closing out the month with, what, like you say, Alonzo, one of the great films of yeah, all time. Yeah, it's totally my MGM musical gateway drug as a child. Nice. Um, you know. Yeah, very cool. What's all right. the print like? Do it should have? be great. Okay. It should be from the studio. Right. I think it'll be a nice uh, ray of sunshine at the end of this dark year. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, let's which, go to the Midnights. Midnights, okay. So, so uh, we're going to go with the, the Fridays, the our Tarantino Midnights, every Friday in December. Uh, this month is going to be Reservoir Dogs, which we've talked about uh, on here certainly before. Mm. See, on the 6th, 13th, 20th, and 27th is Reservoir Dogs. Yep. Which is also, what well, that's like a 95-minute movie or something like that? Midnight, uh, that I think it's like over, it. but not, okay. it's under two for sure. But that's sure. a great length for a minute. I was going to say, that is... To me, between that and Death Proof are the two of his films that I would most like to see at midnight. midnight. Personally, that's just me. Yeah, and we run Quentin's beautiful uh, print that they made for the 25th anniversary of the film. And I know I sound like a broken record because I talk about it every month, but these Friday Tarantino Midnight's there's always people who complain online Mm -hmm. about uh, how we run them every Friday. But you know what? We get huge crowds of people watching these movies for the very first time. I I love that. And people absolutely love it. I know that there's somebody out there uh, sitting in his basement grumpy that we're, we're doing it. But I don't really give a Didn't fuck. Didn't the Nubev um, do this even before Quentin yeah, was so, involved? Yeah, back like, in the 90s. Yeah, like, I remember uh, going to these ages, like in 94 or something. Yeah, so I mean, certainly Reservoir Dogs was one of the midnight staples throughout the 90s uh, before uh, he purchased the theater in the 2000s. But man, these things are so much fucking fun. Um, you get a younger audience, like 10, it's like the... The demographic that people always say, oh, these people don't go to movies or these people can't pay attention to movies or don't understand them. But these people are coming to movies and they are coming to these Reservoir Dog Midnights mm. and it's fucking good ass time. I love it. I love it. Um, going off of that, then we have a lot of cool stuff playing at midnight starting on Saturday, December 7th with one of my favorite uh, Chuck Norris movies, Lone Wolf McQuaid. When you're the best, you do things with style. J.J. McQuaid is the best. He's a lone wolf lawman in the Lone Star State. Your record is unrivaled, but my kind of ranger is a model citizen. Killer in the community. Goes to church. He lives clean. He's got a loving wife and kids. Your lone wolf attitude is gonna change. 
So yeah, we're screening that. So every year we pay tribute to our good friend David Carradine. So last year we played Death Race 2000. In the past we've done, you know, Kill Bill 2, whatnot. This year we are playing Lone Wolf McQuaid into his birthday. So his birthday's December 8th. So the midnight on December 7th goes right into that. And if you haven't seen this, this is sort of a Western revenge thriller action movie with good guy tough guy <laughs> chuck norris rebel <laughs> he's a, he's um, a six-year uh, rebel in this one yeah he's a renegade lawman uh who doesn't have many words to say but man he <laughs> sure does have a fucking killer roundhouse kick yeah. and he's up against uh david carradine and this movie is totally bonkers yeah. is this the one where the, a truck gets buried at some point in the movie. Yeah, and then okay, it right. takes off. and yeah, That's a great pit. I love movie. that. No, this is definitely one of my favorite Chuck Norris movies, hands down, without question. And part of it has to do with Carradine as the you know bad guy or whatever in the movie. He's just really great. And I feel like that's definitely something Chuck was lacking in a lot of his movies, is a great bad guy. He has decent ones, but yeah, this one's Well, last out. month, he had a well, great yes, bad guy. Obviously, <laughs> Robert Forster. Robert Forster's great in yeah. Delta Force, but yeah, I, I prefer Lone Wolf McQuaid personally. Yeah, big fan. I like Invasion USA as well. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> we, that could Christmas Christmas movie, but, uh, yeah, yeah. we could do a whole check. Yeah, we could do a whole check. Yeah, but uh, David Carradine wears like a great, uh, like, kind of sweater while he goes up against uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris in this movie. Love it. Um, but yeah. You don't want to get a chill, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this one. And I think we always have, you know, uh, David Carradine's family and friends out for these screenings. And it's always like a, like a raucous affair. Yeah, so nice. I think this yeah. is going to be the perfect movie to do that with. Very cool. So that is Saturday, December 7th. Saturday, December 14th, we have Don't Open Till Christmas from 1984, which I have not seen, although I'm aware of the film. That's the British one? It is. Yeah. So it is hmm, from the producers of Pieces. Oh, um, got my attention. Imagine that, but way sleazier <laughs> and way more holiday related. So this movie wow. is... You've seen all the movies about a killer dressed as Santa Claus. This one is about a masked killer killing people dressed as Santa Claus. So it's just a madman kind of going around London in a series of vignettes and just absolutely brutalizing <laughs> poor Santas. Oh, my God. Um, and if you've ever seen a clip out there on YouTube or in any of these, like, you know, like holiday clip shows where a Santa Claus is at a urinal and then gets... <laughs> Uh, dismembered, so to say, that is from this movie. Oh my god! Um, it is the film that I've wanted to see on screen for so long, <laughs> and I've looked for a print of this for so long because I've I love all of these like Christmas horror movies, but this one is just such a fucking bummer um, that I can hardly wait to expose an audience full of people to like how horrifically insane this movie is. This might be a selling point. I couldn't finish this movie. Oh, yeah. right. Put that on poster, I tried yeah. watching over the book. It's like, nope. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of disco in it. Do I remember that yeah, correctly? Yeah, Car- Car- Caroline Monroe, she like oh, comes she in does. and she like Whoa. sings a song at length um, and it's not really connected to the movie. Wow. And, and directed by Edmund Purdom who's like such a like asterisk footnote of history. He was the lead in Howard Hawks' The Egyptian. Hmm. Whoa. Um, <laughs> okay. But he was also in Pieces. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, so he was brought on. He's in this movie and he was brought into it because he was told he could direct. 
he started directing it. The producers weren't happy. He was fired. They brought somebody else in. They didn't necessarily do a great job. They brought Edmund Purdom back to <laughs> oh, kind no. of uh, kind of finish it off. Uh, but so it, it's the slasher Christmas that almost wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know I made it sound like a bummer, but I think with a crowd, this movie is gonna be a total riot um, because it's unpleasant. <laughs> unrelentingly sleazy it's everything that I want to see also it's 86 minutes and feels like 806 minutes (laughs) (laughs) maybe you'll have a total riot it's hard to get me out at midnight but I think he just did it because this is actually one I've never seen I've seen most of the Christmas horror films this one I mean I knew about it and for some reason I always got mixed up with the New Year's Evil which is you know it has its own joys that I think you've programmed that one haven't you yeah Uh, so but at that length I think I can do this one on the 14th so nice uh, Brian let's tie Brian in now do you want to commit on air (laughs) I, uh, I just don't I don't know if okay. I can, can right. meet Brian and Elric on yeah. December 14th. <laughs> and, uh, don't open until Christmas. They'll be issuing apologies following the screen. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, all right, well, that sounds lovely. Uh, moving on to December 21st, we have the classic mm. Christmas Evil from 1980. One of John Waters' favorite movies ever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Who better to trust? That's right. Lewis Jackson. Uh, yeah, this is an amazing, just like <laughs> very twisted little horror film that uh, constantly surprising and... and uh, you know, I mean, it, weirdly sort of compassionate. I mean, it has this great lead performance, um, and his name just flew out of my uh, head. Brandon Maggart? Is yes, it? Brandon, yeah. Mag- uh, Brandon Maggart, uh, yeah. who is Fiona Apple's father, yeah. um, and a <laughs> Tony winner, yeah, uh, and a Sesame Street veteran. Like, he had a fascinating <laughs> yeah. career. Um, but yeah, it, it is. this is a, this is sort of auteurist horror in that, you know, no, but nobody, no, no financier comes to you with this idea and says, "I want you to make this movie." Like you have a burning need to tell this story, and you tell it. You know? <laughs> this guy, the, the the one story that I always take away from this is uh, that, and, and if you meet Lewis Jackson, I know he probably has come to some of these. He's really lovely, smart guy, mm. but he his inspiration were the films of Rene, Alan Rene. And oh, wow. he, he did all these storyboards and he went to France to find Rene's cinematographer uh, and he found one of them to shoot this movie and he shot this movie. So you're like, your brain just kind of explodes when you think that's his influence. Like, it's not what you're expecting in a movie that is an exploitation film, but it is, it's a really good character piece. Like I think uh, in line with think films like The Joker and King of Comedy, it's got some element of that, the slow deterioration of a character. It's definitely more taxi driver than yeah. it is Silent Night, Deadly night but this is a very yeah. serious movie and i think yeah. it's actually uh with a really beautiful like one of the best last images in a horror and oh, this kind of movie yeah, well, like no, it's one, really one of the great, great horror endings ever yeah played. i agree yeah. I, i'm a huge I, I mean talked about a lot last year when this played but this really is my i mean this would be without even looking at calendars like my pick of the month I, i'll pick i'll pick a double but, i feel like you picked it last year yeah i just i, I don't know there's something about it. it was so it's such a nice surprise when you haven't had it hyped to you if you just discover this i think mm-hmm. maybe it was on turner classic you know 15 years ago whenever however I saw it but I, I'm the opening is where I see a bit of the kind of Wellsian he's, he's even doing kind of a riff oh, with, the sure, snow yeah, with, with the snow globe yeah, yeah and you see that this is a guy who actually had a very high cinema I IQ I did not know about the Alan Ray's anything, but I looked it up yeah this was shot by Ricardo Aronovich yeah, who shot, shot Providence yeah. he shot uh, Raul Ruiz's uh, Marcel Proust Time Regain Time, time Regain yeah, the, yeah. He's, he, it's just but I love that that's how he made the choice he's like wow. well I love those movies so I'm gonna go get that guy <laughs> and then with mob money, apparently, like he said, there was a lot of that going on. But he also had some beautiful story where he talks about how John Waters, the comments John Waters made about this film all these years later, yes. he says saved my life in the sense where you know he could have just no one 
would have talked about this moment. No one would have known it. And and it's had a really nice resurgence, you know? Yeah, no, in fact, there's, I think, a, a Blu-ray edition where Jackson and Waters have, like, a commentary conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that, that, true. I, I, I think so. this movie would have totally fallen between the cracks had it yeah. not been for that kind of cheerleading. And John Waters has great, really fun taste. He just did his top ten of the year this year, and there's <laughs> always a couple gems that you're like, oh, and it okay. had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It did, it did <laughs> yeah. And I actually saw him live um, about a, maybe about two months ago. It was right around Halloween in Salem Horror Film Fest, and he live he has said that was one of the first films he had seen in a long time that felt like cinema again and he was really you know he's he's doing a, some great stuff about movies and the state of movies in general it's, he's so fun to watch live I have to throw out a plug uh, uh, Shout Factory put out a Blu-ray of Boom this year oh, yeah. oh. Uh, the, the Joseph Losey film with the Taylor and Burton yeah. adapting uh, uh, Tennessee Williams a movie I only knew about because John Waters had yeah. championed it as well it has a Waters commentary uh, you're I, on that Blu-ray I'm on the extras yes nice. uh, I I found a print of it in 1996 and brought John to Dallas to screen it. And then he took that print around the world. Oh, cool. That is awesome. That's great. Yeah, definitely check out that Blu-ray because that has never been available on home video. Uh, there was a Blink and You'll Miss It VHS okay. release that was Pan and Scan. Oh. But this is like a really gorgeous letterbox, like the whole thing. Yeah, no, I was wanting to see it for years be- also because of John Waters. Mm-hmm. And it didn't disappoint. It is no. one hell of a unique uh, cinematic concoction. And you and in watching Taylor's performance, you see so much of Divine's inspiration. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So you have Christmas Day, we call the day after Christmas. Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and three days after Christmas, we now call Garbage Day. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, Phil? <laughs> so on December 28th, Saturday, December 28th, our midnight screening is Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, the culmination of all horror part twos. <laughs> and, it, and a lot of part one. <laughs> I was yeah. saying, that's like mostly part one, right? So uh, it is a film that creatively reuses quite a bit of footage from part one and then builds a whole story around that. And if you thought the first movie was crazy and deranged and just totally wild, this includes all of the crazy shit from the first movie and then adds more crazy <laughs> stuff on top of it, including uh, the the lead performance uh, in the film is just one of the greats for uh, the like 80s exploitation scene. It is unforgettable once you uh, see it. I think Pieces is the best film I've ever seen with the crowd and I think Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 is very close <laughs> in terms of those movies that at home would play very differently. Oh, with the crowd, <laughs> it just is unbelievable. Uh, my, my favorite story about the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise is that when the first movie came out and, and, and like I said, Siskel Niebuhr dumped on it, all these sort of like old Hollywood types kind of came out to like decry its very existence including Mickey Rooney who then <laughs> part, decided that he would sign on for part five. The, the toy maker <laughs> which is actually really good. I like that one. Martin Kitrosser directed part five which I really like and he's uh, worked on every one of Quentin's films pretty much as the what is he the first AD of almost all of uh, and he wrote Friday 13th part three and four. Nice. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to meet him. He's one of those people on our, the other podcast, Shockwaves, always, I'd always like to meet Martin Kitrosser. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> All right. Well, that closes out the midnights. Um, should we move into the uh, Christmas matinee? Yeah, let's go for Mondays? the Monday matinees. So every Monday in December, we have a sort of alternative Christmas film. So uh, the starts off with Shane Black's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on December 2nd. Get out. Sorry about the gun. Whatever. Out. Go. Sleep badly. 
Any questions, hesitate to call. Bad. Excuse me? Sleep bad. Because otherwise it makes it seem like the mechanism that allows you to sleep... What? Fuckhead? Badly's an adverb. Who taught you grammar? Get out. Vanish. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you a buzz. Die. I love this movie so much. I was just going to say, I showed this to my whole family, including my 10-year-old daughter, <laughs> yesterday, and it played as great as it ever plays. Oh, I bet. No, and this Val like, Kilmer, holy shit. I, I so love funny. Val Kilmer's performance. I love Michelle Monaghan's She's performance. Great. She and Downey, like, swap banter, you know, uh, uh, they could have been, like, 1940s superstars, the way they do it. Uh, this is Shane Black's first film as a director, so, of course, it's just, like, soaking in Christmas. Um, you also know, he, soaking in self-consciousness that in terms too, of the narration. Yes. But, but he, he does love a sort of the artificiality of the L.A. Christmas. He loves a palm tree with, you know, lights and, and, and tinsel wrapped around it, you know. And so the, this movie just sort of revels in the Christmasiness while being this sort of, like, comedy noir, but also self-effacing noir parody. And, uh, yeah, I, I love this film. Yeah, it is really... If I had to pick a favorite Christmas film right now, it's near the top for mm. me. And, and it's just as a as a noir comedy, I mean, it's just tops. As, as a like a hard-boiled detective movie and a commentary on hard-boiled detective movies, you know, yeah. it, it's a lot of fun. It's it, recently there was a, there are there are a ton of like year-round podcasts that are about Christmas movies. Hmm. And I'm kicking that. myself for not getting in on that one early. <laughs> I, was, what? What? Uh, I, you know, my friend William Bibiani suggested, I was like, who would listen to that? Dumb me. Anyway, <laughs> but one of them did this, did a whole episode about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and it was like three straight guys who were sort of like apologizing for the gay material and they weren't quite sure that the movie got it right and so as an actual gay I just want to say I totally sign off on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. All right. I love the gay Perry character. I love how the movie you know uh, integrates that stuff. I think it's great. Yeah I mean between the like who taught you math who taught you grammar just about every goddamn line he has in the movie is fucking hilarious. He's so funny. Yeah it's great. Um, yeah we, we've obviously missed this one. This one played today. We're recording on December 2nd but um Hopefully there was a nice turnout for Yeah, the- it did great. We had a lot of people who saw it for the very first time today. <sighs> oh, that's great. Um, and there was quite a bit of laughter. And everyone came and told me afterwards how much they liked it. Yeah, I was going to say, if you like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, another Shane Black directed movie that's been passed over is The Nice Guys. Yeah. And I think mm. they make a nice double bill. You There's know? a Christmas coda in that one. <laughs> he manages to stick it into the very end. I, I, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang makes me wish that Hollywood had, has, had would come with more opportunities for Michelle Monaghan because I think she's so so great in this and so like she is smart and she's funny and she's sexy and she is empathetic and just all the things that you want and you know she, she wears that that little santa mini dress like nobody's business mm-hmm. that's for sure um all right so moving from the second into december 9th we are playing la confidential i forgot that that's a christmas movie sneaky it does. It is. It does kind of sneak up on you. I I, I tend to forget that one myself. But yeah, and it's you know uh, from the writer of the Silent Partner. There we yeah, go. Uh, <laughs> the first connection. That's right. Phil, what do you think about L.A. Confidential? I think L.A. Confidential is one of the pinnacles of Los Angeles crime films. Mm. So there's quite a bit of them. This is definitely one of the great ones from the '90s. It's set, of course earlier than that but it is a, a great neo-noir i think the script is great and i think the huge ensemble cast is fantastic yeah and like, there's lots of little christmas stuff in the background at various parts there's a christmas party and there's 
Bloody Christmas. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I need to watch it again. It's been a while, but I'm a huge fan of the book. Uh, But the movie is really great. And uh, that was one where uh, uh, the legend has it that Hanson, in trying to sell it to studios, uh, put together this really extraordinary lookbook of L.A. in the 50s. Mm. And I think there's so much of that this movie captures uh, of the period that I think is what is some of my favorite stuff in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but for, you know, a decade later. Um, you know, the, these filmmakers were kind of obsessed with, like, the the L.A. they were just not quite old enough to partake of, you know. It's sort of like how, how Paul Thomas Anderson has this sort of, like, nostalgia for the 70s porn of the Valley, even though he was, like, in grammar school at the time or whatever, <laughs> you know. There is something about that ineffable lost period that looked so glamorous like you know those pictures of your parents dressed up to go out you know that by the time you got there it just all felt it was over and you'd missed it you know you'd missed all the the glamour and the excitement of it and 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 i'm sure that's how hansen felt you know in, in putting together this story and some of the actors have never been i think russell crowe and guy pierce are just so well cast in this james movie. cromwell yeah oh yeah kevin spacey you know yeah, kim basinger was won an oscar, won an oscar. Yeah. yeah it's basically the femme fatale so it's basically yeah. a trio of uh, different cops and they they are all investigating sort of this murder and basically it slowly unfolds Chinatown style right. into a story of like corruption yeah. in Los Angeles. And some great surprises. I, it's, I love those movies where when there's a twist, you actually felt the twist in your body. Yeah. You went, oh, <laughs> like there's rare, it's rare, but that one was one for me. So. Oh, and, and a great Danny DeVito performance. Yes, <laughs> it's really good, yeah. Um, all right, moving from uh, Curtis Hansen to Terry Zweigoff, yeah. we go Monday, December 16th with Bad Santa. I have not seen this since theater, and I, I actually oh, really? really liked it in the theater. I never saw the sequel, though. The what sequel you- is not as bad as okay. some people said. It's not great, but it yeah. has its moments, and it's it's just great to see him and, and, and the kid together again, yeah. you know, who's so funny. Um, it, it's funny about Bad Santa. Uh, the There was eventually a director's cut DVD release that Zweigoff supervised, and it's actually the shortest version. Oh. There's three different versions floating around. It's the shortest one because he took out any scene in which Billy Bob Thornton was remotely nice to anyone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it is like the, the blackest, darkest <laughs> yeah. version of it. What's your preferred version? Do you have one? Uh, I, you know, I'm a I'm a little bit of a softy. I think I need a little bit of nice, even in a movie as bleak as this. So, like, probably the theatrical, which I assume is the version. Yeah, that's that the you, version we're playing. Yeah, the, I think that it sort of splits the difference. You know, there's a there's a slightly longer one, there's a slightly shorter one, but yeah, I think this is the way to go. Cool. Uh, so that's the 16th, and then on the 23rd. Uh, I think uh, Alonzo will have something to say about this. This is <laughs> Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, featured I, on the cover of his book. It is. I'm delighted you guys are showing it, because th- this is the one where people look at the cover, like, okay, Die Hard, and the, the, Harry Potter, like, yeah. <laughs> Yule Ball, there's a huge Yule Ball, this, like, beautiful, icy, crazy thing with, you know, uh, what's-his-face singing, uh, the... the, the um, Oh yeah, it's like uh, the guy from Pulp, right? Uh, or, uh, it's the the the, the cunts are still running the world guy. Why? The, I'm, the, that's the name of a song. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, oh, uh, come back to me. I'll, we'll come I'll back to. You. Well, it has uh, this is the Pattinson one. Oh, that's right. That's yes, the one you get is. Pattinson, Cedric uh, Diggory. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like this one. I like this one, but it's one I've only seen once. I think. So I totally forgot the Christmas of it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, it's got the, 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 the one of my favorite, like, crazy costumes is the tuxedo, the, the hand-me-down tuxedo that Ron Weasley has to wear, uh, <laughs> you know, I just think is a hoot. But, yeah, it is, it is this glorious, like, 
just a magical, icy kind of uh, uh, a dance that the, that happens at Hogwarts. And it's the one with the Triwizards Tournament. So you've got the, the uh, French yeah. students there and all the other things happening. Yeah, and, it's a good uh, one. It's a lot of fun. Um, all right. So we'll come back to your uh, the guy you're trying to think of in a minute here. But we'll move on to Jarvis Cocker. Thank you. <laughs> all right. You're right. Jarvis yes. Cocker. Phil was on the mark. It was, could not. It was stuck in my head. <laughs> um, so Monday, December 30th, we have Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Oh, another great. And a movie that I think I'll, also that people forget is so yeah, Christmassy. Totally. And forgot. it's so Christmassy. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I mean, from the. From the from from Mr. Helpman's Santa Claus outfit to the half opened gifts that uh, the 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 Jonathan Price is constantly being given, like it is, you know, yeah. It it, it, it how do you make this sort of like garish future dystopia even more garish? You do it at Christmas time. <laughs> By the way, go running back real quick. Also in the band that plays the Yule Ball is uh, now legendary film scorer Johnny Greenwood. Oh, uh, very nice. That's a good one. Uh, good tidbit. Um, all right. So, well, Brazil is great. Uh, that goes oh, without saying. No I've never seen it screened. So, oh wow. I've, I, I mean, I've, I've seen the film, but I just don't think I've seen it with a crowd. So I'm sure that's going to be just wonderful. And honestly. why, why sit at home watching De Niro de-aged when you can watch young peak De Niro <laughs> flying around? Because De Niro is great in this movie. Really, it's like one of the very great. Funny. Uh, and this is just a totally visionary movie that I, I think kind of demands a big screen. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. If you haven't seen this film before, it is really wild and and also beautiful because the director really had to fight for his vision to get this made. Had to sue the company who made it. Oh, had yeah. to take out ads and variety against them it's one, one of the proudest moments I think for the Los Angeles Film Critics Association was they gave Brazil Best Picture mm. before Gilliam's Cut had been released but he screened it for the group and when when he won that award that sort of was the last straw for Universal be like alright fine <laughs> we'll put out your version <laughs> and if you watch the Criterion disc they include what the studio cut was supposed to be which is what they wound up airing on television that Love Conquers All the Love Conquers All edit yeah and there's a great commentary track which if you ever want to learn about like how the slightest bits of editing can completely change the mm. meaning of a movie, listen to what this guy has to say about how they cut this version of, of Brazil and how it completely contradicts so much of what Gilliam's trying to say with the film. It's very educational. Mm. Mm. Very cool. And uh, Universal's providing us a print that has never before screened. So wow. it's like a wow. brand new print that they struck. So it should wow. look flawless. Exciting. Fantastic. It's that cut. That <laughs> <laughs> this is our way getting there. We're getting the back. Alex Smithy version. Uh, okay, we'll move into the classic Hollywood film Wednesdays, uh, starting with one of Elric's favorite films and mine as well, Night of the Hunter on December 4th. Ah, little lad, you're staring at my fingers. Would you like me to tell you the little story of right hand, left hand? The story of good and evil? H-A-T-E. It was with this left hand that old brother Cain struck the blow that laid his brother low. L-O-V-E. You see these fingers, dear hearts, these fingers has veins that run straight to the soul of man. The right hand, friends, the hand of love. Now watch and I'll show you the story of life. These fingers, dear hearts, is always a warring and a tugging, one again to other. Now watch them. Old brother left hand, left hand hates a fightin'. And it looks like love's a goner. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hot dog loves a winning. Yes, sirree. It's love that won. And old left hand hate is down for the count. Yeah, which uh, we were talking about before. It does have uh, some Christmas, right? Yes, the the climactic moments are, are Christmassy, which was enough to put it in my book. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's also yeah. just, uh, it's like there's no movie quite like it. It's, oh, it's yeah. really as singular in terms of movies because it is somewhere between a child folk tale type uh, Tom Sawyer-ish vibe to the darkest <laughs> of dark uh, film noirs, you know? Well, I just love the idea of playing Holiday Affair and Night of the Hunter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the <same laughs> Twice to each other, yeah. True. You think about his relation to children in Holiday Affair versus Night of the Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next year y'all should do uh, 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 Remember the Night and Double Indemnity. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Yeah, I was just listening to the Criterion commentary for the movie and one tidbit that I wasn't aware of was how much trouble Mitchum had with the opening dialogue where he's talking to God mm-hmm. and apparently he just could not, he could barely keep it together mm-hmm. for that dialogue. So if you when you see that, think about Mitchum basically cracking up after he's done delivering it because he really had a lot of trouble with that, which I wouldn't have thought. He doesn't play it that way. They also said that for a long time there was a story that he directed the kids, that Lawton struggled with the children and could only direct Mitchum, but then there's now just resurfaced recently are these amazing clips of Lawton directing them, and it's incredible direction. It's really interesting. Yeah, that was actually, I think when my, in my first draft, I, I sort of quoted the party line on that one, and yeah. then, yeah, it sort of surfaced. Because of research that, no, no, Lawton did indeed work with the kids. It was the one film he ever directed, and it's extraordinary. I mean, it, it, oh, it, yeah. Because it, 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 yeah, it, it has kind of like a, a Grimm's fairy tale sort of aspect to it, but also this sort of really kind of dream slash nightmare logic and, and, and narrative mobility. And then you've got like Mitchum and Lillian Gish facing yeah. off, and she <laughs> is all, she's completely his match, if not more so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's and a, Shelley Winters is and Shelley great. Winters. And yeah. She's in some great sequences in this film. Yeah, it's really quite magical. It's Shelley Winters as an ice cream store proprietor named Icy Spoon, which is one of the <laughs> best character names ever. Yeah, I also love that they pointed out in the commentary that almost no adults are afraid of him in the movie, but yeah. the kids are, and so oh, he's not threatening apparently to adults, <laughs> and he kind of isn't in a way. It's funny, like all good con men. Yeah, well, no, it's and, true. and he's it's the true. monster in the closet. Yeah. Too. It's true. He cons them so they see him as. You know, he's actually very charming. Kind of reminds. Yeah. Me when he comes to town and he kind of starts to try to seduce the teen, it reminds me a bit of Shadow of a Doubt. There's a lot of Shadow oh, of a Doubt yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah. The two, the two speak to each other well. Uh, yeah. Another one, if you uh, Naked Kiss, if you watch Naked oh. Kiss again, uh, because the commonality being the DP Stanley Cortez, they have a oh, lot in common. Okay. Those two films, in terms of the way they shoot, we talked about it once after I'd seen Naked Kiss again. It just the way it shoots childhood and the, the, the viewpoint with an air of menace always around it. Yeah, well, that whole part where they're like traveling down the river. I mean, that's just so like woozy it's, mm. it's it's gorgeous what Cortez does yeah um, uh, moving from a little bit of Mitchum we go to one of the classic on screen couples uh, in The Thin Man on December 11th who is she? oh darling I hope I wouldn't have to answer that come on well Dorothy is really my daughter you see it was spring in Venice when I was so young I didn't know what I was doing we're all like that on my father's side. By the way, how is your father's side? Oh, it's much better, thanks. And yours? Say, how many drinks have you had? This will make six martinis. All right. Will you bring me five more martinis? Leo, line them right up here. Yes. Yeah, they keep threatening to remake this one, and I hmm. really hope they never do, because yeah. I, I don't think you could be as cavalier about alcohol as uh, <laughs> as they were in this movie, and that's part of the charm of it. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, Christmas does kind of wing its way through. There's that great scene where uh, she's given him some sort of like pop gun for Christmas, and he's like aiming at the ornaments on the tree, like <laughs> with the gun like mounted between his slippered feet, and he's on his back and curled up and shooting at the at the tree. 
Um, yeah, this is just like uh, often imitated but never equaled. <laughs> no, it's truly wonderful. I would say uh, definitely Night of the Hunter and The Thin Man. If you know, if you live in Los Angeles, you know somebody that hasn't seen these movies, yeah. please oh, yeah, take yeah. them to see these films because this is the kind of gateway stuff that gets people into classic films for life. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good stuff. Now, uh, you guys will be able to comment on this one a little bit more. The Bishop's Wife plays on December 18th, and I don't think I've seen this film. Oh, super charming comedy. Cary Grant plays uh, literally an angel who comes down. <laughs> uh, David Niven is a is a bishop. He is obsessed with trying to fundraise to build a new church, and as such, he's sort of neglecting uh, the more sort of human aspects of the job. Uh, his wife Loretta Young is sort of trying to kind of guide him back to you know refocusing his priorities. But it's really the appearance of Cary Grant that kind of makes things happen in a way that sort of you know reminds uh, uh, David Niven what he's supposed to be doing. And, you know, it's it's there's a weirdly kind of romantic atmosphere between Cary Grant playing, you know, a dead person and Loretta Young, who is married to someone else, you know, uh, even though by the end of the movie, it's, it, it's, it's very chaste and it's very platonic. But, you know, there is, it, it almost feels like a courtship at times. Uh, there's a great supporting role by uh, Monty Woolley, who is also in The Man Who Came to Dinner, which is another uh, fun Christmas movie. Uh, and Gladys Cooper, who you might know from like now Voyager and, oh. you know, a character actor that era plays this uh, sort of ritual lady that David Niven is trying to get uh, donations out of. Really charming film, remade in the 90s by Penny Marshall as The Preacher's Wife with uh, Denzel Washington, uh, Whitney Houston, and Holly Courtney, Berry? B-, oh, Courtney no. B. Vance. Oh, okay. I was thinking of some other Holly. I think Holly Berry did a thriller. The Married. Uh, yeah, I know which one. Oh, right, right. right. Yeah, Rich yeah. Man's totally Wife. Con- Rich Man's Rich Wife. has a really good opening. Nothing to do with Peter. Different wife. <laughs> totally different wife. Uh, but yeah, no, The Bishop's Wife, uh, really charming. Uh, it, it, it was a movie that started and stopped. I think originally Niven and Grant were playing each other's roles and Teresa Wright was the wife and it just wasn't landing and so they literally just shut it down and like reconfigured the film and started over uh one of the children of the uh, niven and Laura young is played by um uh, oh god and again names flying out of my head when i need them uh the actress who plays zuzu in it's a wonderful life oh wow very cool i did not know that um all right well that will do it for the wednesday matinees classic hollywood and then we're going to move into the last section of the calendar which is the freaky fridays Phil, what are we talking about for these? So, in December, we're going to be doing it uh, Frosty Fridays uh, style. So, it's going to be uh, a series of snow-filled horror films. We're going to kick it off on December 6th with The Shining, part of our Kubrick Christmas there. And... uh, I bet Elric's a fan I of The I like The Shining. The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the great films. And if you, have, if you haven't seen Doctor Sleep, I do recommend it because it does an amazing job of connecting to The Shining. It's it like kind of couldn't believe what I was seeing in terms of recreations. Forget what Spielberg did in Ready Player One. This, is, this was incredible. But The Shining was my, my one of my main gateway movies in general. So yeah. what, do you, what do you say about it? It's and, like, I, and I saw it at the New Bev at, uh, when you guys showed it what, a couple years ago, and it was, it was just beautiful, the print. Cool. And then on December 13th, we are going uh, – Further back into the Universal Horror Catalog with The Invisible Man. Mm. Probably my favorite, I think I've said it on the show before, Universal Universal Horror Film. And Mm. I love The Creature. I love, you know, Frankenstein and whatnot. But but yeah, Invisible, there's something about the maniacal nature of The Invisible Man and Claude Rains. I think it's one of the best performances. Yeah, I was going to say, he's nuts. He's absolutely insane, literally. Like, one of the earliest portraits for me of true insanity. You don't know what you're doing. 
I know what I'm doing, all right. Come on. Get hold of him. Lock him up. All right, you fools. You've brought it on yourselves. Everything would have come right if you'd only left me alone. You've driven me near madness with your peering through the keyholes and gaping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. There's a souvenir for you. And one for you. I'll show you who I am and what I am. <laughs> you know, I see it before the remake. <laughs> Which I'm excited for. Yeah, actually. Yeah, no, good. I am too, honestly. I mean, it's, it's what's his name? It's uh, Lee Winnell. Lee Winnell, Lee Winnell. Great, yeah. yeah, it's going to be great. Um, yeah, and then we move from that into my favorite film of all time, probably, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing on December 20th. It's pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah, it'd be a good lead up, uh, Kurt Russell lead up to The Hateful Eight on Christmas Day. Oh, Very nice. nice yeah. See what you did there. I like that. Um, yeah, that film is amazing. What you say about the thing, just like The Shining. These are some oh, no, yeah, these these are just like stone cold classics. But perfect way to cold. see them. I mean, yeah, during the day, that's great. I love it. Um, and then Let the Right One In, which I think is one of the best uh, horror films post-2000. It's a beautiful film. It's a great kids uh, film about children and uh, adolescence. Friendship has some really great twists, uh, you know, about the relationships in this. I also actually rather like the American remake. It's just a little too – it was made just a little too quickly on the heels of the other one. But other than that, it's actually Richard Jenkins is phenomenal in it. Um, I think this film's really great. Some people complain about the cat scenes and stuff, but it's like, yeah, idiots. This is no great <laughs> it, it is an exceedingly frigid movie so yeah. it's a good choice to go <laughs> yeah. in with this lineup yeah. yeah um i think that closes out the calendar yeah um, absolutely so yeah this so is so much i didn't even know about <laughs> somehow on my list i didn't even see the freaky friday so when we got to that i was like oh my gosh yeah no that's so a great stuff, lineup yeah. of matinees i mean man i wish i didn't have a job i would just <laughs> i just like to say i would be at the bev a hell of a lot during the week we can make but, that happen yeah the funny thing is people happen. always say oh you play all these movies when people uh are working, but I feel like that's a very narrow-minded view no, of it's what's true. going I, on I'm in just Los joking. Angeles because yeah. we are in a city of millions of people and not everybody has a Monday yeah. to Friday Absolutely. job. Absolutely. So. All those Which people is... who showed up for opening day of Eyes Wide Shut, they're still free during the day. <laughs> okay, uh, well, do we have favorites? Yes. I feel like we can't skip our pick of the let's, month. Let's, nope. not, let's not skimp on that. Uh, are you ready, Alonzo, or do you want a minute? Oh, golly. I mean, it's it's hard to pick, really. I mean, uh, I, I think you said you were going to take the Carol Far From Heaven, but I mean, the idea that, that, that this is the only 35 print of Carol on Earth. Uh, that's uh, that's a clincher right there, I'd say. But I mean, you, you pretty much can't go wrong with this uh, lineup. Okay, so so you're you're leaning into that one. You think? Yeah. Okay, Phil, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, this Carol Far From Heaven is going to be the best looking double bill of mm-hmm. the month, and it's it took a lot of effort to uh, get this print out of uh, Ed Lockman. So. Uh, it took a, a while for us to track him down. Not that he was difficult, just it was difficult to get a hold of him. Nice. Um, so I think it would be hard, hard pressed to pass that up. And maybe these are two different types of movies than maybe normally make it on our schedule. So I'm excited to showcase those. But if you are looking for something that's a 10 out of 10 film, then Dow Code Santa Claus is really tough to beat. <laughs> so perhaps if <sighs> flip a coin and uh, it's going to be between uh, either of those two nights. Very nice. Yeah, Dow Code Santa Claus definitely must be seen to be believed. <laughs> 
<laughs> Elric, you ready? Uh, well, you know, you, you know my love for Christmas Evil, so I want to make sure that gets on people's radars. But uh, to mix it up, I'm going to go for Fanny and Alexander. I think this mm. is, uh, again, like you just said about Carol, this is a, the kind of movie I wouldn't necessarily see too often in this lineup. And it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an epic film. Uh, this is the way to see a movie like this on a screen. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to go to it, to be honest. It's been years since I saw it, and I'm, I'm kind of excited to revisit it. So, uh, yeah, I think this would be a great one. That is cool. Uh, I got to go with a two-pronged approach only because <laughs> I have my Christmas movies and then the two that I don't think people should miss, and that is the Duck Soup Horse Feathers Double on Christmas Day. I just think I mean, it's just cinematic comedic gold and you really need to expose yourself to it or expose someone who hasn't seen it to them but if you're going to go Christmassy uh, I'm going to go with the White Christmas Holiday Affair double Mm -hmm. because uh, mostly for Holiday Affair but I did like White Christmas there's something very cozy about that movie. Oh, exceedingly, yeah. You know, I was surprised sitting in California, being from the Midwest, where we have snow and there is a cozy feeling to watching a movie like that. There was a s- almost like simulated coziness just <laughs> sitting in my home in California watching that. So that's a lovely film. But Holiday Affair is truly delightful and one of uh, the most underseen Mitchum films. So definitely worth a look. I think that's it, though. Yeah. Yeah, but then as always, uh, if you visit the theater, especially I know there's going to be lots of uh, visitors in town, uh, hopefully checking out the new Bev uh, while they come back here and visit family or go on vacation. Certainly, if you see one of us at the theater, you're very likely to run into me, Phil. Uh, Be sure to say hi. Let me know uh, what you think of the podcast, how we can improve, and what you want to see in the future. Yeah, and if if you're looking for more recommendations for Christmas movies before the end of the year... uh, Definitely pick up Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. This book is indispensable, oh. absolutely, uh, and and I just love it. And you know, like I said, lots of deep cuts, not just you know your average stuff. There's a lot going on here. So and def- and hopefully fun information about movies you've seen a million times. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely something in the tradition of Danny Perry. If you will. Uh, uh, he's a he's a role model for sure, no yeah, question. Somebody that uh, you and I and Elric are all fans of. So. And uh, thanks for listening. This has been one year since we started doing the calendars. Uh, for us, I know it's great because we're also discovering a whole lot of movies ourselves by doing this, So, uh, which is always kind of the point of the show. So I uh, appreciate if you uh, rate and review the show and um, rate and review Phil on uh, <laughs> <laughs> on social media. Leave them five stars, people. Be exactly. only nice to Phil on yes, social media, please. Yes, only be nice. Uh, but yeah, th- thank you so much for listening.